What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, welcome to a very special episode of the Volleyball Source podcast. My name is not Everett DeLorme. Uh, this is usually Everett's show. Uh, not this time. Uh, I'm Rob St. Clair from south of the border in Chicago stepping in. Uh, and I have a very special guest to help me preview the 2022 to 23 Italian men's Super Lega season. It is none other than the talent scout expert himself, the, the master of the transfer spreadsheet, Mr. Tommaso Panini. Welcome to the show, my friend, also known as Tommy Blizzard on Reddit and the Discord. Tommy, welcome. It's great to have you. Thank you, Rob. It's great to be here. So, uh, okay, we've already got some people going on in the YouTube chat, so this is great. Uh, we're live on the Volleyball Source YouTube channel. I think I'll put this up on uh, one of the podcast platforms after the fact, but uh, let us know in the chat. You can ask Tommy's, Tommy or I any questions about the Italian League or anything you want to know throughout this show. Uh, you might see that I put a poll up in there because uh, we're going to break down all the teams in the Super League this year and whatever you, wherever you want us to start. We can start from the top in terms of like the best teams from last year's finish, or we can start from the bottom. So uh, vote in the poll just to let us know how you, how you want us to guide the show. But Tommy, before we talk about the Super League, you being an Italian guy and a massive Italian volleyball fan, it is only right that we give you a platform to talk about this. Yeah. The Italian men Ooh. won <laughs> the world championship. And uh, I mean, Everett and I talked about it on the 9x9. We were blown away. We were very surprised we didn't expect this, but Italy played a phenomenal tournament and they were clearly the better team in the finals. Uh, I want to give you uh, an open an open forum to brag or talk <laughs> about the Italian team or whatever you want, Tommy. Tell us from an Italian perspective about the, your men winning the world championship. Well, I would start uh, using a, a very typical Italian uh, uh, phrase, which is, uh, let's give Caesar what belongs to Caesar. I mean, uh, I, I kind of mocked you and Everett uh, when, you, when you predicted that Italy would, wouldn't even uh, reach the semifinals. But to be honest, uh, I kind of agreed with you before the tournament. I wasn't that sure that Italy would, able, would be able to even qualify for the semifinals. And I mean, this was a kind of an unexpected uh, uh, trophy for uh, most of uh, Italian uh, volleyball fans. But uh, in the end, I think that uh, we we deserved this uh, this title. And uh, I think our uh, main strength was not uh, was not to be better than the other teams, but to lower the level than the other teams. I think uh, we. We made especially France and Poland, which were two teams that I thought they were way superior to us on a technical and physical uh, side. I think we we really uh, put put all we got to lower their performances. I mean, I, I did some uh, data research. Uh, take the final with uh, with Poland, um, uh, both Sliuka and Semenyuk, and also Kurek arrived at the final. Both uh, all the three of them were uh, spiking, were killing uh, with uh, more than fifty percent. I think they were all around fifty-three, fifty-four percent, and uh, nobody on on the final went over forty-one. I think Kurek even went uh, as low as thirty-two or something with uh, seven point six errors, something like that. And uh, Zlivka has been changed. Kurek has been subbed. Fornal went in, didn't really do much. Kashmarek started high, but then he went low. And uh, I mean, uh, that's exactly the team that the Georgia thought about. A team that uh, accepts 
to uh, play long rallies that doesn't give up if they maybe have just to throw the ball on the other court, just take a breather and prepare for the you know, for the next defense. Defense was, of course, uh, one of the keys, and they, they were helped by a very strong blocking. Uh, they created the direct points, but they also created uh, a lot easier, uh, an easier job for the defense. And, uh, and even the, the, the serving was, I think, key. Because Italy realized that the, we were not that big of a side-out team. We didn't have a, an ace like Wilfredo Leon that could uh, solve all the bad side-out situations. So we, we just uh, we didn't we didn't we didn't have that great uh, servers. We didn't got we didn't get many direct points, many aces. But we really really drilled the the the, the, Pol- the Polish uh, reception. I think uh, yeah, Zatorski, which is, of course, uh, one of the best libros in the world, had like uh, 5% perfect reception, something yeah, like it that. Was, it was bad. I remember that. Yeah, and uh, and that was key also because uh, Janusz and uh, and, all the, and also the other setter had to run a lot through the court. So we basically left Kochanowski out of the game and... Uh, Leaving Poland without their middles, uh, it really, it really helped us. And um, and finally, I think that uh, I was uh, a bit of a I wouldn't say a critic, but I have criticized Gianelli in the past because uh, if, uh, both with Perugia and uh, with the national team, he had some so and so games in the recent past. But uh, in this uh, World Championship, he was pretty much flawless. Uh, I never saw. A, a setter being so important for a team, uh, realizing that the the middles weren't really going on uh, on offense, but still uh, insisting on them, keeping the, the the game as unpredictable as possible. And uh, in the end, he really took matter in the zone ends. Literally, he, he <laughs> had like ten attacks and uh, five five points uh, from spiking and two from blocking. He be, he scored more points than than the middle. He it was simply incredible. Not to mention his leadership and all the right, all those uh, those little things that uh, that you can see. And uh, he really really deserved to be the MVP. I totally agree. I've, I'm right there with you. It's been a long time since I've seen a setter be that important to a team. And I mean, we'll talk about Perugia later on and the, the disappointing season that they had last year. And I remember when Everett and I were talking about that, there was definitely some blame to be put on Gianelli for the offense that he was running. And I think some of that criticism was deserved. But I agree with you. This whole world championship, he played flawlessly. Every match that he set, he was probably the best player on the court on either team and a well-deserved MVP. So before we jump into the Super League, Tommy, how would you you say, if at all, this Italian World Championship win (coughs) affects this club season? Is there any any boost that you think the Italian League or any of the players that were on this team, or is, is there any like ripple effect that an Italian World Championship win will have on the, the, this season of the Super League, do you think? Well, I certainly hope so, uh, especially in terms <laughs> of um, of fandom and uh, and spectators and followers, because there was uh, um, sort of a controversy going on in these days, because um, the volley the volleyball matches actually had uh, really really good results in ter- in terms of a TV audience, 
the final has been um, has been broadcasted by Rai, which is the Italian national television, on their main channel, uh, Rai One or Rai One, and they had like twenty three percent share, which is something that uh, not even the the Velasco's team uh, was able to to get. They had millions of people that uh, uh, tuned in and uh, watched the, the whole game, so it was really a an incredible result. But on the other side, the main newspaper, uh, the main sports newspaper of Italy, gave very, very little uh, space to volleyball. Just to give you an example, in the, the Monday after the final, uh, the, the first page, they had uh, like uh, half of the space uh, that uh, soccer had. And they, there was no big match played on that Sunday. There was just some controversy about... Uh, um, a, a goal that was not allowed after a replay, something like that. And then on uh, 50 something pages, volleyball got that 40 page 46. They, oh, had, 30, no. they had 35 pages of football, <laughs> then uh, five pages of Formula One, two, page, two pages of gossip, and uh, Francesco Totti's uh, wedding uh, that was falling, uh, falling out. And then they had just two pages to, to volleyball and uh, it was such a shame that uh, they got a lot of a uh, lot of angry comments on, on social media. So I hope uh, this will uh, convince also the the papers to give more space to volleyball. I hope so too. It's actually it's crazy to think about that because Everett and I complain all the time about the lack of coverage of volleyball gets in our countries. But now we're thinking about the country that just won the world championship and has the best club league in the world, like fighting the same battles. So <laughs> I guess that proves that we're really all in this together. Yeah, in the uh, same period that you, you saw Marca, the, the, the main Spanish uh, uh, sporting newspaper that had the first page, the their national basketball team won the uh, European Championship. Uh, or the the fact that uh, uh, Federer uh, retired. I mean, they they can actually give more space to, to other sports, but in Italy, it's uh, it seems like soccer is uh, the uh, super hyper king emperor or whatever you can call it. <laughs> Going back to the Caesar reference that you made earlier. Well, yeah. uh, so let's let's talk about the Italian Super League because yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I think I think it's fair to say that it is the best club league in the world. And I, I think so. that's, that's been proven over the last several years. There's, there's been a lot going on in club volleyball for the last few years, uh, a lot of it influenced by the COVID pandemic. But I think, would you agree that we are finally this year back to a normal Super Lega season? I think that everything about this is shaping up to be normal this Italian club season for the first time in several years. Yeah, um, uh, on one hand, I would agree with you. Firstly, because uh, as uh, you pointed out in your, uh, uh, in your uh, recap, there will be 12 teams, so an even number, so no more bye weeks. And uh, hopefully uh, there, will, there won't be at least uh, as many matches uh, uh, rescheduled uh, due to COVID. So this will help, uh, of course, normalize the things. On the other hand, though, I think there could be some problems because, uh, as you um, as you can uh, can understand, there especially in Europe, there we were gonna we we'll, we're going to have some uh, uh, energy related problems. And since volleyball is an indoor sport, uh, energy is used a lot for heating, for lightning, and uh, on all and all the other stuff, and not just for the the match day 
but also when the players have to train. So it's going to be a, an economic bloodbath for most teams. And uh, Lega Volley already issued a, a joint statement along with Lega Basket uh, saying that this, this, um, uh, this spike in, uh, in energy prices uh, will, uh, will jeopardize the, uh, the survival of some teams. And they, of course, they asked the government for some help, but uh, the government is technically dead. We're going to have elections this Sunday. So it's not going to be a, an, easy, an easy season on that point of view. But uh, as uh, on the other side, this should be much more normal than the past three seasons. Well, we can ho hope for the best in, in terms of the energy crisis because that is important to keep in perspective of how, how that might affect volleyball. But, yeah, I remember last season the, the rescheduling nightmares with teams catching COVID and – I mean, having 13 teams was already strange enough. And then there was all the capacity restrictions with fans. Uh, I, I think I was reading, but please confirm, and I certainly hope. Are we back to full, full yes. capacity in all the arenas? Yes. Oh, great Yes, news. we are. And uh, we were actually, we, we reached 100%, uh, I think, in game uh, three or of, the la of last year's semifinals. But this year we don't have uh, we don't even have uh, mandatory masks, so it's another step back to normality. Great, that's great to hear. So, uh, like like time was saying, now. at least for now, yeah, you never know. So let's go through the format of the league really yeah. quick. Uh, Twelve teams. It's a very simple double round robin format. So every team plays the eleven other teams twice each, home home and away, and that's really it. So every team will play twenty two matches. And uh, at the end of all that, the top eight teams will make the playoffs. A uh, pretty simple, like single elimination series format. Once we get to the playoffs, uh, one thing that uh, people have made fun of me for how much I really enjoy relegation races. Uh, <laughs> I really had a good time with that last year. We could talk about it in a little bit. But um, as a lot of European sports go, the last ranked team of the twelve gets relegated uh, to the A two division, and then the winner of this year's A two division will get promoted to the Super League for next year. And then, Tommy, tell us about the other two kind of in-season tournaments, the Super Cup and the Coppa Italia, because that, I think, for North American fans just getting into the Super Lega, that's kind of a confusing thing. Yeah, let me also point out another, another thing. Uh, uh, if you're used to uh, FIVB uh, ranking, uh, Super Lega uses another kind of rankings in the sense that uh, it's points first. That's right. So victories count less than points. So if you win a match uh, uh, on tiebreak, you get two points. If you lose a match uh, on tiebreak, you get one point. Uh, or uh, either way, you get three points for victory uh, and no points for losing in less than uh, in, in four sets on le or less. Uh, so uh, the other two um, the other two tournaments are um, the, the Italian Super Cup, which is usually played uh, at the at the year. It used to be played at the beginning of the season, before the season. Now it's played at, I think we already have the dates. Just let me check real quick. I, I was uh, looking, I, I couldn't find them. Yes, yeah, so we have them. And uh, it's on, um, yeah, October 31st and November 1st. Okay. And uh, they, they will be played in uh, Cagliari, which stirred a bit of controversy because it's on an island and pretty far away from everyone. But aside from that, uh, its, um, it's seeding is based on the previous season. So the four uh, teams that qualified for semifinals in the previous season 
will uh, face each other in a, in a classical uh, uh, Final Four format, so semifinals and final do or die. And uh, yes, that's pretty much there is to it for the Super Cup. Instead, the Coppa Italia, the Italian Cup, the, the ranking is made at the end of the first leg or the, or the, or the first round robin, the, what we call the Andata round. So the first eight teams qualify for, uh, for Coppa Italia. There is uh, um, quarterfinals, uh, quarterfinals, semis, and the finals are all played in a do-or-die single match. But the quarterfinals are played in the home court of the best-seeded team, while semifinals and final are played in a, in a single uh, in a single venue. They still have to announce the venue, but the last four editions have um, uh, have been played in Bologna, so it's likely that they will play in Bologna this year as well. And that's pretty much it. And uh, if you win the Coppa Italia, you have uh, some kind of uh, bragging rights, meaning that the following season you'll have this little, uh, this little uh, uh, emblem on your shirt, meaning that, hey, I'm the Coppa Italia holder. Right. So these, these like the, the Super Cup in the early part of the season, the Coppa Italia midseason, like, that's a common thing for European sports from what I've noticed. But ultimately, like they don't, it's hard to say they really matter that much. I think it is just for bragging rights because it doesn't actually affect the the standings or the playoffs or any qualification for next year or anything like that. So they're fun and they, they certainly do matter for pride and bragging rights, but they don't like explicitly affect the standings for the season. Is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, of course uh, soccer. Of course, works in a different way because it's more spread out through the year. Right. But yeah, basketball works exactly the same way, or pretty much in a very similar way. And yes, yeah, so Coppa Italia is one of those competitions in which uh, if if you're eliminated, it's not a big deal. But once you reach like the, the semifinals or the finals, you kind of want to win it. So it's um, and it, uh, if you are like a top four team. Uh, it's it's still pretty embarrassing to be eliminated, like in quarterfinals, and uh, yeah, you can ask, be sure ask that Lube you, Nova from last year. Yeah, you can be sure that if you're like Lube and you get uh, get kicked out in quarterfinals, uh, the other fans will probably mock you. But uh, at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. And uh, th- this this same format goes for a lot of the European leagues. So, like we could talk about Vakif Benki Istanbul on the women's side last year, winning five trophies. So that was like Super Cup, Turkish Cup, Turkish League, Club World Championship, and Champions League. So the three yeah. of those five trophies are in your own country, and that's. Just I mean, they really, cool. really needed to go. No? Yeah, the, yeah, sure. They, they they totally needed to take her away, huh? Uh, that's so. That's another conversation. Uh, last yeah. but not least, before we jump into uh, breaking down the teams. The most yep. important thing about the Superliga is the foreigner rule or yep. the, the restrictions on the number of foreigners that you can have. And this varies for the leagues around Europe. Uh, other than Germany, which d- literally doesn't have a foreigner restriction, Italy is actually one of the friendliest ones. And that, to be super That's clear, okay. of the seven players that are either in your starting lineup or on the, on the court in like the regular rotation at all times, three of those seven must be Italian. So that's like the, the, the six normal players and the libero. Those of those seven players, three of them must be Italian at all times. And yes. so that is a huge thing to remember for how teams construct their rosters. And uh, a couple diff- very interesting pieces of news as we get mm-hmm. to some of the higher ranked teams later on of players choosing to like 
pursue Italian citizenship later on in their career, so they don't don't count against that limit. Yeah, and um, if you're um, if you're watching this for the for the first time and you feel a bit confused uh, by this rule, just remember that uh, sometimes even uh, um, even even the general managers of the Italian teams don't understand this rule. <laughs> I, I, seriously, I remember a, a couple of times ago. Uh, Lube, so not exactly the the last uh, the, the, the last team joining Superliga, made some confusion and they signed Grabenikov, thinking that ha having him and an Italian libero would count as uh, an Italian player, but it doesn't. So they basically <laughs> used Grabenikov as an outside hitter for most of the season, and they used uh, Pesaresi as uh, the official libero, let's say. Because otherwise they couldn't comply with the, the Italian restrictions. So don't be afraid if you don't get it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in good company if yeah. a general manager of a championship level team doesn't understand the rules. So uh, I, I think without further ado, I think let's jump into some of the teams. And one of the reasons why I brought Tommy on here, not only does he know so much about all this, but uh, he is the author of one of the great resources of trying to follow along with this league, especially in the offseason, which is the famous Tommy Blizzard transfer spreadsheet. Hmm. And I'm going to put the link to it in the YouTube chat right now. Uh, you, should, you, can, you all can check this out and uh, read through all the things. Tommy does a great job of keeping track of every team, their transfers that come in in the offseason, their transfers that leave in the offseason, and then a, a projection of who their starting lineup is going to be. So uh, this is a, basically a show summarizing the offseason's worth of the, the work that Tommy has put in on this transfer spreadsheet. So, Tommy, I believe it has been decided by the people in the chat that we're going to start from the bottom. We're yes. going to start, which I like. I really like that. And that brings us to the team that is getting promoted from the A2 division last year, and that is awesome. Siena. Uh, Siena returns to the Superliga this year as the 12th team. Um, we say goodbye to Viva Valencia and Ravenna, having probably the worst season in Superliga history. Yeah. There were two Ravenna teams. Ravenna was embarrassing. Terrible. <laughs> so bad. I mean, you, you did a great job picking it on last year's show. I remember you and Everett both said this might be the worst roster ever assembled in Super League history and sure enough it was um, but with those two teams leaving uh, one team gets promoted and it is Siena who they've played in the Super League before I remember them like 2018 and, yeah 2018 and 19 they had like exactly. Yuki Ishikawa and they brought no roof into set and but they ended up being really bad and got relegated almost immediately right yeah and they uh, first of all, Siena didn't actually get promoted because the Serie Due was actually won by Reggio Emilia. I remember uh, this. But they didn't uh, have... Uh, I don't think it's, it was... Uh, uh, I hope Monty will forgive me because he is from Reggio Emilia. But uh, I think it was more like an arena issue because the, the, the arena Reggio Emilia has been undergoing some renovation. They, they are late on the, on the, the works. So they couldn't find a place to play to, so they had to give up the rights uh, to Siena. And as you remember, they, they played uh, just once in Superlega in the 2008 uh, to 2019 um, Superlega. They were embarrassing. Because, <laughs> really bad. Yeah, because they, their, their roster name were, were actually pretty, pretty good. They were all famous players, but they managed to get relegated in a, in a championship where, if you remember, Castellana had a Ravenna-like season. They won just two games out of 24. And Siena won just one more game. They won just three games. 
but they had so much more points because they went like 12 times to tie break, losing 10 of them, something like that. And so in the end, they got uh, relegated uh, to Adue and uh, this year they're back. And I think this year they made some kind of the same, uh, I wouldn't say, well, I wouldn't say mistake, it's too early to say that, but uh, the logic is kind of the same. I see some pretty washed up player. I mean, uh, uh, I, you know, I'm a Modena fan, so I have all the love of the world for Nema Petric. But even when he played uh, last time in Modena two years ago, he didn't seem like his old self. And now he has two two more years. I think he's like 35 years old or yeah, something. He's pretty old. Uh, 1987. Yeah. So yeah, 35. Then you have Van Garden, who didn't really uh, do a good job when uh, when going uh, um, on from the bench last year in Modena. Pinali spent the whole, pretty much the whole championship on the bench. Mazzone had, did not have a very good year, so I'm not that thrilled to say the least uh, uh, for uh, for Siena. I think they are uh, depending on how things go, they can get. They can avoid relegation, maybe, but if they get relegated, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think that's a good summary. And the, the goal of every team that gets promoted to the Super League or to like from the second division in any country to the top league, their goal for year number one is to stay there. Their yeah. goal is to not get relegated. <laughs> so we had Toronto last year uh, succeeded. They, they, and even with two teams getting relegated, they weren't one of them, one because of how bad Ravenna was. But that's the, that's the goal for Siena this year is do not get relegated. And sure enough, they kind of are like a, a Modena washed up reject team because <laughs> they brought in Martin, Martin Van Garderen from last year. They brought in Nemanja Petric from the past. Those will probably be their two starting outside hitters. You got Daniele Mazzone, their former middle. Uh, Fabio Ricci played for like meaningful minutes for Perugia for several years. So honestly, that middle blocker duo is not bad. No, no, that Richie is also, uh, he he was a um, national team candidate. He was supposed yeah. to go to uh, to the World Cup, to the World Championship. Uh, so he's actually a, a good player. So and even Bonami made a very good season last yeah, year. He was Verona, one of the best. Right. He was one of the best liberals in terms of reception and efficiency. So it's he's not a bad deal. It's the other players that um, don't really. Also, the, yeah. and also they, they signed the wrong pet. <laughs> yeah, you, you uh, if you're looking at the screen, you see I, I have a list of the coach, notable bench, and transfers out. So uh, transfers out, there were too many to list. Just so so yeah. much moving of their players last year because they needed to build a roster of super league quality. They had to bring a lot of people in. Uh, but they they brought in Inga Pet from Modena. But not that Ingapet. <laughs> they, br- they brought in Urban's little they brother, wish. Swan. Yeah, they wish. So they bring in Swan. Ingapet as like their third outside hitter. We might see him. He's not, not. He's nothing special. He's just kind of been riding Urban's coattails for his whole career. Um, their setter is this guy named Juan Finoli, who I don't really know anything about. An older Argentinian guy. He's not that old. He's only 31. Uh, but, I mean, I've talked about it a lot on shows in the past. I have absolutely no faith in Julio Pinali. I have no faith in this guy. I have no idea how he was on the world championship roster. And I think that the downfall of this Siena team will be the wings. Like Petrich is a little too old. Van Garderen isn't really a scorer. And I just don't think Penali is very good. So I think that will be the ceiling for this team. Yeah, I was surprised as well. I, uh, I was convinced that uh, uh, since the Georgie uh, fired Zaitsev, I thought Stephanie was the logical, uh, logical next step. Me too. But instead, he called Pinali, who spent the, the whole year on the bench. 
he wasn't necessarily bad two years ago when he played in Ravenna. He was the starting opposite there. He did pretty good on serving and blocking, but he was, I think, the dead last opposite in terms of uh, terrible attacking. He had something like 43%, and which is very, very bad for an opposite. It's barely acceptable or even even slightly unacceptable for an outside hitter. So it's even more unacceptable for an opposite. Right. Yeah, Pinelli is a good server and a good blocker, but just a terrible attacker. And I mean, that's a... To be, it, it's very informative. You can really pull a lot of meaning at the end of a Super League season. You can just rank the opposites in terms of kill percentage, and you can really learn a lot from that. Uh, and it, a, a guy like Pinali attacking for the whole season, I just do not trust him. Uh, they do have a backup in uh, Federico Pereira from Argentina, but he's a little bit older. So, yeah, I, I think that's really about it for Siena. I think their goal is to not get relegated, and I, I think that they can do that because I think that they're. Their middles are good enough. Their reception unit is good enough. Uh, while Ben Garter and Petrich aren't great attackers, they are pretty good receivers, and you complimented Bonami earlier. But, so I think this team can succeed in staying in the Superliga. Well, we'll talk about later who our other um, potential relegation candidates are. Uh, ready to move on to the next team? Yep. All right. Coming up next is Palavolo Padova. So Padova uh, finished 11th last year. Uh, one spot out of relegation position. They barely survived. And then they made a lot of moves. This is not a very similar team to last year's part of the team. Uh, so they bring in Davide Saita from Vibo Valencia to set. They bring in Asper Asperuha from Verona at outside hitter. Uh, they still have Ron Takahashi, but they also get this Matisse Desmet character, who I actually like, a young Belgian kid from Nakru Solare who's coming to play in Italy for the first time. So, like, those three, uh, Asperuhoff, Desmet, and Takahashi will rotate at outside hitter, I think. And then they bring in Dushan Petkovic at opposite, who Everett and I have talked about. We're not particularly high on him. Yeah, me neither. Uh, Volpato in the middle is one of their previous guys from last year. Crosato was on the roster last year but never played. And then, for some reason, they bring Julian Zenger from Trentino. That's That's a... Tough move, a tough move for Zenger to go from playing in a Champions League final to playing for Padova the following year. Well, um, as I said, I agree with you and Everett on Petkovic. I remember his last uh, Superliga year in uh, in Sora. He actually scored a lot of points, uh, but uh, ultimately Sora got relegated also because uh, as for Pinali, he attacked with a very, very low kill percentage and uh, I, if I remember correctly like 40% of uh, Sora's attacks came from him so it was Ouch. more like a desperation move and uh, of course if you attack like uh, uh, 40 balls per game you're going to score a lot of points even if uh, your kill percentage sucks so it, <laughs> I'm not I'm not you he, if he is the guy who is supposed to save Padova I have bad news for you. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. That this is this is a, a weird off season for them because they lose Mattia Botolo, who's gonna be a really good player. They lose Eric Lepke, who had a bad summer on the national team, but had a pretty decent year last year. And they bring in Asparuhov, who I don't like very much. And they lose Linus Weber and replace him with Dusan Petkovic. I mean, it's it's almost like they're trying to get relegated with some of these moves. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's always been Padova's problem. Padova doesn't have a lot of uh, money to to splash on volleyball, so pretty much uh, every year it's this. It's, it's kind of what happened with uh, with Ravenna in the, the past years. They they kind of find uh, kind of found some uh, hidden gems somewhere, 
but while Ravenna used to um, uh, take them from uh, from the, from the uh, from abroad, Padova has a really good uh, um, youth academy. They, they like to bring uh, on the senior team uh, most players from the the youth academy, as you can see with the, with Crosato. And of course, though the the best players are uh, uh, are prone to to accept the more lucrative offers from uh, more wealthy teams. And there was also a controversy last year. I don't remember if it was the chairman of the general manager. A couple year, a couple of uh, day, a couple of weeks before the regular season ended, he had a very controversial interview saying uh, because because Padova was doing pretty good. Was, they were in yeah. playoff contention until the they, very they last. Made the, they made the Coppa Italia. They were the eighth seed in the Coppa Italia. Yeah, they totally tanked in the end they of the year. Tanked pretty bad, and uh, this guy said. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised by that because uh, uh, most of the players already signed uh, with the other teams. Uh, something that should be technically uh, forbidden. And he said, "I'm not gonna make names, but uh, you'll see them when they sign uh, with uh, uh, with next year's teams." And so he was probably referring to Bottolo and uh, maybe also to, to Weber, who went to Poland, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, yes, of course, uh, every year they have to. Maybe not start from scratch, but something very similar from, from starting to scratch. And yeah, I'm not I'm not big on Asparahov as well. He played a couple of years in Verona with uh, with Stoichev, who is supposed to be, who is a Bulgarian like him, who is supposed to be the guy who found him, and he didn't really amaze. He had a couple of okay games, but in the end, he was very inconsistent. So he will have to prove himself. Uh, in Padova, and it's uh, of course not a guarantee that he will succeed. I'm very curious about uh, this Desmet guy, and but uh, I think that in order for Padova to avoid relegation, uh, this Desmet guy should be like the next Rock Mozic or something. Because uh, <laughs> otherwise, I think they are maybe the most likely candidate for uh, for relegation. I kind of agree with you. I think in my list, it's either them or Chisterna, who I honestly think are most likely mm. to get relegated. We'll get to them in a minute. But, uh, I mean, spending a, a foreigner spot on a libero is, is also an interesting move. Uh, they, they, they I, I don't, I wasn't impressed by Volpato last year, and I don't know anything about Crosato. I don't think that either of those guys can really be like super Lega caliber middles for a whole season. And we already talked about Petkovic. I mean, if you're if you're relying on him to save you from relegation, uh, we've got bad news for you. Uh, there was a question in the chat before we move on about Davide Gardini. So yeah. a, a lot of American fans will know him. He's the son of a legend. Obviously, uh, he played. Uh, in the university here in the states at BYU, there's a question: Is is he any good? He is big, but is he good? Uh, I have a pretty simple answer to that, and that's no. But uh, Tommy, what's your opinion on Davide Gardini? Well, I actually think you know him better than I do, since you followed him on uh, NCAA. I just uh, watched him uh, on uh, the very few times that he was called up for the uh, with the, with the national team. Uh, and uh, it seems to me that uh, he is uh, he still has uh, um, much to learn. I think he has potential. I actually think he can become a decent uh, mid-table starter. But uh, yeah, I don't see him having the the potential that uh, his father was that he became an all-time great. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I think he's. Um, 
he has some pretty athletic uh, athletic talent so so i mean the other thing is he can learn but yeah, uh, absolutely but we'll have to see uh, how fast he can learn because Super Lega is very unforgiving, even for Italians. Yes, even for Italians. And even though he's probably not going to see that much court time, he, he will learn a lot. He'll learn more than he probably ever did in the NCAA. But uh, reception is his biggest weakness by far. And any, anybody who's watched him play in the NCAA will, will know that pretty clearly. So uh, we'll see how quickly he develops if he sees some time. But I mean, I think reception might be an issue for this team. And you have Ron Takahashi, who is that's basically his only strength. So they will have a couple of interchangeable pieces at outside hitter to put on there. And maybe we see someone like Osparuhov at opposite if Petkovic is bad, because we even saw that at the world championship for Bulgaria. Yeah. Who knows? Um, I, I think you and I, Tommy are on the same page. Part of a, definitely a relegation candidate. It'll be something to watch. Yeah. It breaks my heart because I always liked Padova. I like the fact that they give a lot of space to the youth Academy guys. But this year, hmm, I have a very bad feeling about them. Yeah, and I agree. They, they do tend to develop their own players pretty well. But then, unfortunately, they can't afford the good players that they develop once they get really good. I don't like the offseason moves that they made. I don't like Petkovic. I don't like Asparuhov. I don't understand getting Zenger, like spending money on him because he's really good and you probably could have used that money elsewhere. So I, I think this is just a poorly made roster and I don't have great feelings about it either. All right, let's move on to a team that we got to know last year, having played their first season in the Superliga, and that is Toronto. Not Toronto in Canada, uh, Toronto in southern Italy. Is this the only team this year in, in the southern part of the country still? Uh, I think so. Let me check real quick, but I think so. Yeah, because no Vibo Valencia, no Reggio Emilia, no, right? So no, I no. think it's, it's just... No, Reggio Emilia is actually in the north. Oh, are they? Okay. It's, uh, it's close to Modena and Bologna. Oh, got it. But yeah, yeah, Cisterna is in the middle, uh, a little mm -hmm. bit south of the middle. But yeah, they are the the only really real southern team uh, this year. Yeah, take, if you're watching, take a look on Toronto on the map, how far away it is from most of the rest of the league. Uh, but they joined the league last year. They got promoted after winning uh, Serie A2 two years ago. Check out this roster. Look at all the blue. <laughs> they have exactly one foreigner in the starting lineup one it's crazy i've never seen a super lega team with this many italians and that one foreigner is none other than the canadian darling eric lepke and yep. uh, i i know ever i saw everett in the chat earlier i think he had to leave to go to work but um he's we, we've had plenty of comments about eric lepke last year playing in padova and this summer being quite frankly very disappointing on the canadian national team as the one foreigner that toronto was able to go out and get i'm I'm a little bit confused by that offseason strategy, but at the same time, as I look at this roster, it's not bad. I think Marco Falaschi is a good setter. I think Imoni Aletti is an underrated middle. I think I don't I don't really like Oleg Antonov all that much, but he's like a he's a super leg super leg quality outside hitter at, at least. And I think the real thing is that we finally get to see Tommaso Stefani play an entire season and start the entire time at least i hope so it killed me to watch him sit the bench behind julio sabi all of last year so uh tommy tell us about this tomaso stefani kid what do you expect from him this year at the opposite well you're as we say in italy you're just uh, breaking through an open door because i always liked him i um, i followed him since he was playing with the with the youth national teams uh, 
he won uh, pretty much all there was to win uh, with the youth national teams and this uh, i remember uh, there was this um, um was it red Auerbach? i think that said that uh, i can teach a player everything but i can teach him to be tall something like that you, you, you can't teach height is something that we yeah. say in the u.s all the time and yeah sure enough yeah. I'm, i was just and looking this... up stephanie's height two meters ten yeah, ten. He's massive. Yeah, and uh, I mean, before the World Championship, before noticing that, uh, except the Libero, all the six starters were two meters or taller. We were insisting on the fact that we needed something, uh, someone who was uh, a bit, uh, a bit more physical. And uh, Stephanie is, uh, is, is all that. He's, uh, you would say, a seven footer, and. Uh, and the guy he, he showed uh, he showed something last year. I mean, he spent uh, two seasons warming the bench, uh, and if I remember correctly, the first season he was actually warming the bench for Pinali, oh, which no. is not exactly <laughs> an achievement. And, but he's, uh, he's young, though. He was born in two thousand and one. He's only twenty one this year, so I, it yeah. makes sense. But I, it's definitely about time that he really gets to be the full time starter. Yeah, absolutely, season. absolutely. We we always joke about the fact that. Uh, in Italy, you're young until you're 40 or something like that. <laughs> and uh, but yes, and, uh, now now it's definitely his time to shine. He has a, he has a good chance. Last year, he gradually um, uh, overtook uh, Sabi for the starting opposite role. He showed some some very good things. He had some uh, 20 pointers in uh, in the season, and it showed that he showed that he can use that body. He is a very good server. And uh, he can swing that arm uh, pretty good. He's a bit rough on, of course, on some part of the game. So he doesn't have uh, many offensive directions. Uh, he needs to work on that, of course. He is uh, sometimes he looks like more of, um, um, let's say, old, old-fashioned opposite. That uh, you get the set, you don't, you don't, you don't really think about the, the block, <laughs> or uh, you, you, you don't know what a, what, what a lob is. You just go for it. Just throw it with everything you've got. So you need to be more mature on that uh, that side of this game. But uh, I really, really like him, and I think he's, he's going to have a, a great chance. And uh, also, Falaski is a, is a good setter. He had a, a great breakout season last year. He was remember that he was supposed to be Janelli's backup in Perugia. Then uh, Travizza uh, didn't want to leave. He already had contract. So he basically was dumped to Taranto and uh, he had a terrific season. He was uh, called up uh, for the VNL. He, already, he also played, I think, a couple of yeah, years. Yeah, he did. I was there. I, I saw him play in VNL in Ottawa. And yeah, I, I randomly like commentated a couple of Toronto games early last season and got to know a couple of these guys, like the ones that are still there. And I was impressed by Filoski. And he's old. He's 35, I think. Yeah, uh, he's an 80, born in 87, I think. Yeah. And he played a I, I was in Poland, uh... really impressed, really impressed by him. So, uh, I mean, we, we will definitely have our eyes on Eric Lepke for this Toronto team, for those North American fans that have followed his career. But don't be at all surprised if by the end of this season, you see the name Tommaso Stefani atop a lot of scoring lists. Uh, he's just yeah, going to get agree. a lot of volume. Would you agree, Tommy, that his his play style is kind of like an Addis Lagumja of sorts, kind of a similar body? They move kind of similarly. But if if Stephanie can learn the the range and the vision that Lagumja has, he can be a really good player. 
Yeah, I really like your comparison because I think it's very spot on. They both have uh, this um, this big body, which uh, they also can. They also have to learn how to manage it uh, because um, we saw it especially on the women's league. If you have this big body, and the game goes to fifth set, uh, you're uh, much likely to be tired at the at the end of the game. And if you're the go-to guy of your team, uh, your team is going to be in big trouble. So they have to learn how to manage also their um, their stamina. But I think that uh, if uh, the the other uh, the other eaters are Lepki and Antonov, uh, you may want to build some stamina because <laughs> neither, I mean, with all due respect, neither of them looks like a reliable offensive uh, weapon. And uh, I still have faith in Lepki, even if he. I think last year he didn't play that well. He, when when Padova signed Takahashi, uh, he often got he often subbed uh, Lepki. You already said that the World Championship it was a disaster, but he's still young. I think he still have uh, he still has uh, to, to play his cards. He, he still can uh, grow as a player. And on the other side, I really, really don't like Antonov. <laughs> no, but, me either. But I'm curious to see how this um, this uh, Andreopoulos and this extra guy will fare, because sometimes you get. Uh, you get the the, the, the Ravenna luck. You get some kind of diamond uh, in the in the dirt, and who knows? Maybe one of them would be one of these guys. Yeah, this Andriopoulos kid, uh, Greek kid, born in two thousand and one. Maybe we see him. This extra kid, Swedish kid, born in two thousand and three. So a couple crazy young prospects that uh, are at least on the Toronto roster, and I don't expect to see him early on, but you never know. Uh, maybe we, yeah, exactly like you said, when Ravana used to find these these absolute gems out of nowhere, like Camille Rickliski is a big one that they found out of nowhere several, several years ago, and look where he is now. So uh, yeah, this Toronto team, Italian loaded, uh, definitely look at Eric Lepke and definitely looking at Tommaso Stefani. I don't think this team gets relegated. I think... I don't know if they make the playoffs, but I, I think they've got a great chance to stay in the league another year. Yeah, I would say mostly because there are worse teams, but they have there are worse guy. teams. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on. The next team is one that I'm very excited to look at, mm. Verona. Verona had a, a surprisingly fun season last year. They were really interesting. You obviously had the breakout performance of Rock Mozic, one of the great young prospects in the world. And then this offseason, they went out and they made some moves. They have assembled a team that is going to be fun. If nothing else, they will be really, really fun. The outside hitter duo of Rock Mozic and Gord Perrin of Canada uh, coming to Italy is something that I'm really excited to see. I think those those player styles with the, the experience of Perrin and the young, just explosiveness of Mozic, I think is a perfect pairing for them. Significant upgrade over Asparuhov. And then an even more interesting prospect, Nomori Keita, this young opposite from Mali in Africa of all places, just played in the Korean League last year. He is going to be must watch every Verona match is going to be must watch even if he has a couple horrible games and loses them matches it is going to be must watch to see the combination of Keita and Mozic play this year yeah um, I think uh, I think that uh, Verona was uh, also a bit lucky last year because uh, for uh, more than half of the season I thought they were uh, the most likely candidate to join uh, Ravenna in uh, in a duo but luckily for them, uh, Nishida, Nishida got injured in Vivo. Uh, Douglas left the team, uh, so Vivo became the, the, the second worst team. And 
but let's uh, let's give them uh, credit for uh, having a really good second part of the season they uh, they climbed up the ladder and they also i wouldn't say almost made the playoffs but they got closer to to playoff range i think their main uh, weakness is the setter yes because, um, i wanted to talk about that because spirito had uh, he was supposed to be the, the the next big thing after Giannelli. But he, since he went back to Verona, he had a couple of uh, season on loan. He was a pretty big disappointment. Uh, I mean, Verona basically turned turned around the season when Stoichev sent in uh, Rafael, who was 42, and this year I think he's already 40. No, he will be 43 after uh, after week one. 1979. So, Rafael yeah. de Oliveira, the Brazilian legend, is still playing and he's still playing in Italy. And Tommy, you're exactly right. I remember last season the turnaround that Verona made was when they switched the setter. They benched Luca Spirito, they brought in a 42 year old Rafael, and they played significantly better from that point on. So that's important to note because Rafael is still there, but Spirito is Italian. So the, the move that they could maybe make, oh, there's a couple. This is, this is where we we're getting some really interesting things yeah. about the foreigner limits. In the middle, Verona brings in Alex Grozdanov because obviously when you have Radostin Stoichev coaching a team, he can't have a team without at least one Bulgarian. <laughs> so, so he brings in Grozdanov from Monza, and Grozdanov's really good. I think he's the best middle on this roster, if you ask By me. By far. But you also have Leandro Mosca, who's a young Italian middle prospect who is on the world championship roster. He's massive. Uh, how big is he? Uh, I'm looking at the roster. 209 so he's massive and then you have Lorenzo Cortesia who I don't like that much but he's he can definitely play in the Super Lega so if you want to bring in Rafael to set you need to bring in probably Cortesia for Grozdanov and have those two yeah, Italian middles or you can also have um, it's of course more risky but uh, Magalini is um, is an is an interesting prospect he won the under 21 world championship uh, last year he is very good. In, he's a very good passer. Of course, he has to develop uh, his offensive game, and of course, uh, uh, you, you want uh, you want bench you want bench Modzic for that. You would likely bench Perrin, but it's, it's of course a more, much more riskier move. But I think Magalini is going to, to develop into a, an interesting player because even last year he went in and uh, for mostly for Asparuhov and. Uh, and made his contribution. He scored like twelve points in three sets, something like that. I remember and, that. I, th there were several games that either I watched or I commentated that I, that Magalini came in because they wanted to bring in Rafael. They needed another Italian. They brought Magalini, and he played well. Uh, I agree. I, I like that kid as a prospect. He's a two thousand and one, so he's a, another really young guy and can be one of the options if you need another Italian in the lineup to balance like something else that you want to do, like maybe put Rafael into set. Uh, the last prospect I want to talk about on this Verona team is this Sapozhkov character, uh, Maxim Sapozhkov, two meters and twenty, two twenty. Uh, he's Russian. He played. He's he's, he's born in two thousand, so he's really young. Uh, Who did he play for last year? Some Russian team that I've never heard of. But he's coming over to Italy at two meters and twenty. He's got to be the tallest player in the league. Yeah, and by far. By far, and I'm just fascinated just to see him, even just like move around and just see him in in hitting lines and warm ups. Like, what, well, Tommy? Do you know anything about this guy? Absolutely nothing. Uh, <laughs> I, I just I know that he's an opposite and not a middle. And I remember he is that, an opposite. That, yeah, 
I, the tallest guys, uh, the tallest guy I've ever seen was Alexei Kazakov back when he was uh, playing. Modern I remember and, Kazakov, big middle, and yeah, he, he was, was uh, two seventeen. So this guy is actually five centimeters taller. And I remember looking at Kazakov like this, uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not a volleyball player, but I'm not small either. I'm one eighty six, and I was like, hey. <laughs> So, yes, this guy is massive, of course, and uh, I think they signed him for two main reasons. One, of course, because Stoichev likes uh, uh, tall players. I remember when he coached Modena, he actually brought in uh, Jensen for training, but back uh, back then he was still a setter, so it was a pretty oversized... I remember, I remember that from his... It was a pretty oversized setter. And, uh, and another reason is that... Uh, we just talked about Jensen. Jensen will be out uh, until uh, November, maybe even December. He went, underwent surgery. So, uh, of course, Keitao is going to have a really good chance at uh, starting opposite. And Saposhkov is probably being signed just to as, as a temporary backup uh, for the opposite position. And uh, we, we will see if they will uh, keep him for just for like training when uh, Jensen comes back or... We'll see what happens, but other than that, I know really, and I don't really know anything about this Saposhkov guy. Well, it's it's hard not to be interested when you see two twenty on the roster. Yes. In height. That's Definitely. ridiculous. But uh, the, the the prospect that I'm more excited about now that we kind of know Rockmozich, we saw him for a year, uh, led the league, or was top three or five in the league in almost every category last year. I'm really excited to see Namori Keita play. I mean, he's two meters and six. Uh, he's born in 2001. He comes from just a, an obscure volleyball country in Mali in Africa. He's been playing in Korea, which is a league that encourages a guy to try and score 40, 50 points a game. I cannot wait to see if he can really be a Super League caliber opposite for this year. And yeah. with, with Mozic across from him, I think this team might be kind of good. This team could make the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's boom or bust. I mean, That's if... True. Uh... If uh, all things go well, uh, they can uh, they can do really really well. Uh, they, I think they can even aim for like sixth place or something. And uh, but uh, if if if, Keita, if Keita doesn't really adapt to to Superliga, and if Mozic has to carry the, the team back again, uh, I don't see them, of course, as a relegation candidate. But they may fail the playoff this year as well. It yeah, depends on a lot of things. Sixth, I think, might be a little bit too high. I could definitely see seventh. Uh, seventh easily and get... I mean, they're probably still going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. But there are going to be some really fun Verona matches along the way this season. They're just going to be an entertaining and interesting team to watch. So I'm excited for them. All right, uh, moving on to the teams that made the playoffs a season ago. So we're starting to get into teams that have had some success here lately. Uh Starting off with last year's eight seed, Chisterna. Chisterna had a terrible offseason. They they don't even have like hardly a full roster. I was looking at your spreadsheet, Tommy. I was looking on Volleybox. I I don't even think they have 12 guys on the roster yet. It's been very, very confusing. If you go onto the Lega Volley website, those are the guys. I mean, they haven't officialized any other move. So... As of right now, they have like 11 players, I think, something like that. That is rough. And they, they did make the playoffs a season ago. They had a nice late push. But Stephen Marr last year, another Canadian guy, was their guy. 
He was the only guy that was actually healthy the whole year. Uh, Arthur Schwartz got hurt. They had a bunch of guys got hurt. Uh, but Mar was the man, and he carried all the offense. And now this year he is off to Monza. So no more Stephen Mar for Cisterna. And they didn't really go out and get anybody significant. I mean, they go out and get F.A. Byram from Turkey, who we really like, a friend of the program. Then this Sedlacek character, like a Croatian outside hitter from 1996 that I've never heard of. And uh, Petar Dirlich is a Croatian opposite that played a little bit last year. Uh, Mikhail Baranovic setting, Aiden Zingle, the, like an old Australian middle. I think Damiano Catania is good at libero, but I just don't know anything about this team. I, I don't see the the depth or like the top level talent to really compete in the Superliga, even though I did see on Volleybox like maybe a rumor that Denis Caliberta is going to sign for him. I don't know. I, I really have my doubts about this Cisterna roster. Well, uh, I never heard about this Caliberda rumor, but uh, I think that we can all agree that it won't be a game changer, probably. But uh, I would be uh, a little more generous towards Petar Dirlich, because actually last year he he was supposed to be um, Schwarz's substitute, but when Schwarz injured himself, he delivered. He actually delivered. Yeah, he he was good. Yeah, pretty good numbers, and so uh, I'm, I'm actually I'm expecting him to keep up these uh, these good numbers, and uh, I know I know if a buyer I'm uh, very little, I know I actually know Marco Sedlacek because he played in Monza a couple of years ago. He was <clears throat> he was um, uh, a substitute for the outside hitters, but uh, there was a time I think it, I think it was the COVID shortened season. And if I remember correctly, the Monza had some kind of uh, uh, injury trouble. I, I don't remember if it was Jevonorok who was injured or he was uh, playing poorly. But this Sedlacek guy ended up playing um, pretty good minutes. And he actually played good in those minutes. So I don't know how or even if he improved over the years. But uh, I would keep an eye on him because uh, he, I think he has the potential to be a surprise, maybe in a, not a Mozic level surprise, but uh, it could be a surprise. Okay, uh, I'm I'm just really curious. This is probably the team. I think I even, this is the team, even more so than like Siena or Toronto. Or I I know the least about this roster of probably any team in the league, and I think that kind of makes them a wild card. I would not pick them to make the playoffs no. just because I don't know anything. I, I maybe they won't get relegated, but I'm it, it, it's curious. It's like a, a mixture of pieces that I don't really know, and then therefore I have no idea how it's really going to turn out. So there's a wide range of possibilities for how Cisterna's season is going to go. Yeah, I'm also interested in, uh, in how Catania will fare. Uh, last year he was, uh, he was the reserve libero, was supposed to be the reserve libero in Piacenza. Until but... Bernardi decided to start him an outside hitter a couple times. Yeah, yeah but I mean, it's something that uh, sometimes happens. You... <laughs> You make your backup libero wear a, a normal jersey, let's say, so he can uh, do the, the the back row rotation. But uh, this guy was actually named the best libero at the Under-21 World Championship uh, last year. So this guy has potential, and uh, now he, that he has this chance to start, we'll see how, how he does. Yep, uh, that was an, a name that popped out to me too, is Catania. I know he's highly regarded as a libero prospect. All right, uh, let's move on to seventh place from last year was Vero Volley Monza. 
And uh, if you follow the women's side, you've, you've seen the ascendancy of the Monza program the last couple of years. They're trying to do the same on the men's side. Their, their, their budget seems to me to be increasing from an outside perspective, and they're starting to go out and build some pretty good teams. They're still struggling to be consistent and like beat teams that are better than them consistently. Uh, but I really like a couple of the moves that they made. The big one for me is they brought in Kachopa to set. What a massive upgrade over Santiago Orduna. Uh, Cachopa is likely the the future of the Brazilian setter position. I mean, we saw at this World Championship. He's he's the guy. He's the guy and has an, an immediate chance to be one of the best setters in the league this year. And other than that, the the roster is almost the same, with the exception of losing Zavaronok to Trentino and bringing in Steven Marr. And that's a really good one for one switch. Uh, they still got Jurgi Grozer. But there was a moment last year when Grozer got hurt and they needed a backup and they didn't have one. And now they do. They have Arthur Schwartz. He's going to play opposite, not middle for this Monza team. I like this team. Uh, I would yeah. definitely pick them to make the playoffs again. Of course. I, I think that uh, it would be a huge disappointment if they don't make the playoffs. As you said, uh, Kachopa is uh, an extremely interesting uh, signing. I mean, he, he basically... Uh, I wouldn't say kicked out Bruno of the Brazilian team, but he kind of did, uh, midway, did. <laughs> midway through the, the World Championship. Ma had a terrific season last last year. Davis Kiba is, I think, is a 20, 2001. I think he's, he's very, very young and is a very interesting prospect. After one year in the bench last year, he was promoted to starter and he made a he played a very consistent. Uh, Consistent, played very consistently yeah. last year. I it think was, that's uh, a really good pairing, him and Mar. I think they're the perfect, yeah. like classic outside hitter one, outside hitter two combination. And then, and not, let's not forget about the middles. I mean, you have yes. Galassi, which uh, I would say, uh, with a bit of controversy, was called up in the in the World Championship Dream Team. That was and, ridiculous. But, yeah, it was. Uh, but uh, he's still a more than decent middle. He has a good serve and he's a good blocker. And watch out for Gabriele Di Martino as well. He had a terrific season uh, last year in, in Taranto. I loved Di Martino last year in Taranto. He was really, really good. And I'm excited to see him start for a playoff level team. And of course, you have, uh, um, yeah, you have some kind of question mark on Grozer because he's my age and I just turned 37. So, And also he's been uh, a bit injury prone in the last couple of seasons. And speaking of injuries, we love to see how Schwark uh, came back from, from the injury because it was a pretty serious one. Yeah, torn ACL. But, I mean, he played at World Championships. I mean, he was clearly not quite back yet, and he played middle blocker rather than opposite, and those are different in terms of demands yeah. on your body. But uh, if and when Grozer gets injured or at least just needs to take a couple games off through this season, Schwartz is more than a capable backup opposite. I'm excited to see him play this year. Yeah, of course. And last thing, uh, it's going to be a, a very crucial season for Federici because uh, he, was supposed, he was supposed to go to the European Championship last year, then he got injured. And uh, but last year he was like the second worst libero uh, for our passing efficiency, and uh, he, he got benched a couple of times for Gaggini, who is like 19, and uh, he's, another, he's another player to watch out in, in Verona. So this season he has to deliver because uh, even if he's still uh, young, he was really really disappointing last season, and if he, and if he doesn't deliver this year. 
as we said earlier, Super League is very unforgiving. So I can see Monza uh, draw, uh, unloading him for another Libero. I think that's a good point. Federici's born in 2000, so he's just starting to get to that point in his career where he should be expected to be a Super League quality libero the entire year. And obviously with how the foreigner rules are and how rosters are built, a lot of liberos will end up being Italian yeah. uh, just because it's a, the least logical place to spend money on a foreigner. So you need every good, high-quality Italian libero you can find, and Monza needs him to be better. Unless you have Zenger, of course. <laughs> Unless you're part of a want to go out and pay Zenger. What a weird move. Uh, yeah, I like this Monza team a lot. I can't wait to see Cachopa set a full Italian league season. Uh, if Grozer can stay healthy and he can, I mean, you said it, he's 37, but is still, when, he, when he's healthy, he looks the same as he always has. He's yeah. a, a freak. So much fun to watch. Uh, good middle duo. I like this Monza team a lot. They had a couple big upsets last year. Weren't they the ones, didn't they beat Lube in the Copa Italia quarterfinals? They were. Yeah. But then they lost a couple weird ones. They like I think they lost they lost to Verona several times. They lost to they lost to bad teams. So they've got to be more consistent, but they have the talent to make the playoffs again. But I think they also reached the the Super Cup final when they lost to Trento, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yeah, they beat oh, who did they beat? I think they beat Perugia. No, or Perugia was beaten by Trento. Um yeah, maybe that's right. They they definitely lost to Trento in the final of the Super Cup last year, but I don't remember who they beat. Might have been Lube again. Maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, so yeah, Monza. Who knows? Uh, kind of a fun wild card that can sometimes like punch above their weight class and beat good teams. So yeah, uh, they're they're going to be a factor. Speaking of teams that are going to be a factor, Tommy, is this the year? <laughs> is this the year finally that Piacenza breaks through into the top four of the league? sixth last year but it's been so long it's been so long since anybody has really like consistently taken the big four italian teams that's lube perugia modena trentino since a team has really broken into that level but piacenza seems to be making the moves such that this might finally be the year well to be honest it happened also two years ago in the post-covid season when uh when Modena was broke, uh, so it was the season when they had uh, Christensen and Grabenikov and, and the nobody other, else. Rest, yeah, and the rest of the team was pretty much trash. I, I remember that team. <laughs> that, that that was that was the COVID year. Nobody had any money. I don't really think that counts. But yeah. like this, with with Piacenza's club having existed like in the 2000s and the early 2010s, and then going under and then coming back under different ownership, they have made moves of like uh, the at least the level of budget of an elite 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 level european club team i mean look at this roster antoine brizard setting lucarelli and leal both brazilians at outside hitter yuri romano at opposite and that's one that i'm really curious to talk to you about in a second tommy and then they go out and they bring back robert landy simone they get the best middle blocker in the world and i mean we all i, I remember falling in love with simone's early piacenza highlights from like 2010 when him and jacheco were there and they were doing just the most ridiculous things on offense like jacheco yeah. was like overhead platform setting simone these quick balls and all this ridiculous stuff and like the glory days finally they bring simone back and then they have either kaneski or chester at as second middle doesn't matter sconferla really good libero this team and then Recine, a really good italian outside hitter in case they need to play with the foreigners this team is stacked this team is so good and i think the only thing that can stand in the way of them 
well, two things that can stand in the way of them really being a top four team. One is Bernardi, because I think as, as legendary of a player as he was, he can t- continues to be an idiot as a coach. But second is Yuri Romano. What do you think, Tommy, after sort of the, the streaky, nice peaks of the world championship for Romano, what do you think we can expect from him for a full season as a starter? Well, let's start by saying that I completely agree with you with everything you said. Uh, I, w- uh, I was about to, to say that uh, Bernardi was uh, is one <laughs> of the is potential pitfalls of this uh, Piacenza team, which, by the way, didn't change just the ownership. The, whole, the team is technically brand new. Okay. It's, it's technically a different team than the one that made you fall in love with Simon. But still, they they are. I think they are the second uh, this year. This season has been. They have been the second biggest spenders in the whole league. And of it has course, to be behind only Perugia, I would assume. Yeah, right? and, and of course, if you are used to uh, the American leagues uh, here, we don't have any kind of salary cap, so biggest spenders uh, usually have uh, bigger chances to win. And yes, as you said, it's a very stacked team uh, with a deep bench. And uh, we'll get to, to Romano in a second because uh, there is also uh, they also have a backup plan in case uh, Romano doesn't deliver. They can actually move Leal to the right and promote Recine to a starter. So they, uh, they can play Trentino style, let's say. Yes, yes. And uh, about Romano, it's going to be a very interesting year for him because uh, la- let's remember that uh, despite being the starting opposite of the team that won the European Championship last year and the World Championship this year. Last year, it was actually his first year in the Superliga. That's right. He, he played A2 the year before that. Yeah, he was one, he's been one of the best uh, scorers in the Adue in the last season. But uh, last uh, season, he, and it was, his, it was his first Superliga season. And he was a reserve. It was actually Patrice backup in Milano. And he ended up playing very few matches also because uh, he, he had some uh, injuries to deal with. Uh, so he started uh, he started preparation late. Uh, he had some uh, physical problems. So when, when he played, uh, he didn't really deliver his full potential. But this year, he's, he really has a golden chance, a golden chance. Because of course he played uh, he played good uh, in the in the world champ- in the world championship he probably wasn't the, the best opposite but I think it was clear in the top three I mean uh, there are reports that uh, even Kurek said uh, uh, off the record that uh, Romano deserved the the, the best uh, best opposite award uh, more than him but aside from that he played uh, an insane game against France yes he, he turned the game around in the fourth set he, he scored the the 7 the 7 2 break uh, starting the, the tie break and uh, at the end of the day he was uh, really impressive about how complete he is because he's a very good server he's a decent blocker and as an opposite, he's kind of a beast on defense. I mean, I've never... Yeah, I he is I, a good I, defender. That's a good I've point. I've seen very few opposites defend like him. He's, and not just in like I'm throwing myself to the ball, but also <laughs> his, uh, his sense of positioning. He, he seems to have a, some kind of a, a Rodman-esque sense of where the ball will head. And so he's, he has a good position on defense. But I also kind of like the, the way he's, he seems to have the the 
loss of short-term memory that I think for an opposite is good. Like yeah. if he makes a couple errors in a row or if he bounces the ball straight down, he's not going to care and he's going to be the same player the next point, no matter what happens the point before. And I think, I mean, it sounds like I'm calling him dumb. I'm not because for an opposite, that is a good thing. That is a good thing for an opposite. And I, I mean, this with him and all the rest of this Piacenza lineup, I mean, think about this potential six servers. Brizard, Lucarelli, Simone, <laughs> Romano, Leal, and then like a float serve of one of the middles. Like yeah. that, six servers in a row, no rotations off there. Could be one of the best serving teams we've ever seen. Yeah, probably. I mean, Leal's serving has been go- has been going down in the last couple of seasons. Even last year, it was not that effective in Modena. But then he but, was so good at the World Championship out of nowhere. Yeah, that that really that kind of surprised me. Yeah, me too. But yeah, Romano, as uh, as we said, uh, he has a good chance. I think he's one of those opposite that in order to be effective, he needs to to build a good connection with the, with his setter. I don't really see him as uh, one of the. I call him the, 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 the Velasco spikers because you say you know that one of the Velasco's most famous quote is uh, uh, spikers don't talk about the uh, the set they just spike it they just sold it <laughs> and I don't really see uh, him like uh, uh, like that kind of spiker but I think if he can uh, build a good connection with Brizard he could he can do really well and uh, we, at the World Championship he de- he did develop a good connection with jo- with Janelli and we all see what happened. And yeah, overall, I'm. Uh, I think th- I think this uh, Piacenza team has the potential to to reach second place in uh, in the standings. Second place. If all things go go, if all things go well, I think they might even get go better than Trento. But it's gonna be a very tough battle. Of course, things in Trento must not go as planned because I think. Trento has a slightly better team, but they have the potential to reach the second place. Just watch out for another potential pitfall, which lies in the name. Gas sales Blue Energy. They are owned by an energy company. And with all the stuff going around, it's not that unlikely that they might undergo some financial trouble, even after all that that spending, because with, as I said, with all the energy crisis going on, they are not in the most stable uh, sector right now, so things could could potentially go bad for them. But uh, if that thing doesn't go, I, I really think uh, I really see them as a, maybe not a scudetto candidate, but a scudetto final candidate definitely. I think that's I think that's clearly the goal with with the with the moves that they've made in the off season and the budget that they've had to bring in players of this caliber. I think they're. I mean, it's crazy to say that they might be a second place in the regular season caliber team, but it makes sense. The team on paper is absolutely good enough to be that good after 22 matches. The question is, can they actually go out on the court and do it 22 matches in and out? And I think that uh, lineup management might be an interesting thing for this team because, yeah, you're right. You have the option to move Leal to the right and bring in Recine. Bernardi has had a history of when he has choices that can be made, he makes too many choices and too often the wrong ones. I mean, he, he let Aaron Russell sit the bench the entirety of last year, which I'll never forget, forgive him for. And I'm, I'm curious to see how he manages this lineup, if he is consistent enough or if he finds something that really works and sticks with it. I think he might be one of the things that can get in this team's way. 
Yeah, I think it's his biggest weakness is stubbornness. Uh, I also remember <laughs> in a, when he absolutely tanked the Scudetto final against Lube, the, the first yeah, year. Yeah, when he, he coached Perugia, team. right? Yeah, I mean, uh, in that final, it was clear that Leon absolutely carried the team, of course, uh, from beginning to end. But in the final, he was clearly struggling. He was probably also um, tired from all that carrying around. And uh, and Atanasievich was even worse, uh, if I remember, I remember correctly. That. Yes. And, with, and with the bench, Perugia had he couldn't uh, he couldn't uh, find the balls to to make a move to to make a sub when it was clear that Perugia was sinking down. And uh, last year you mentioned uh, Russell. Uh, I mean, he's kind of a stubborn guy. So um, we, we'll have to see how he deals if uh, like um, Leal starts uh, doing bad or Romano has some pretty bad games. So we'll have to see what happens. We will have to see what happens. So, but yeah, the potential for Piacenza is definitely there. They, I think of the teams outside the top four that can go to the semifinals or maybe even the finals. I think they're the clear one. Uh, let's move on. Last team outside of that elite top four that we talk about all the time is Milano. So Milano over 500 last year, finished 13 and 11. They lost in the quarterfinals, a great, great series against Modena. So they barely lost. Um, interesting team. They all a very pretty different from last year you still got paolo poro the young italian setter who's really kind of the hinge point for this team and is going to determine a lot about how they can do uh but they they lose thomas jeski but they bring in milad abadapur which is a move that i kind of like uh and they still have yuki ishikawa those are two very good experienced outside hitters the question is where are they going to get all their point scoring from and the answer then should be from jean patry on the right side but if you watched Milano last year, you saw a lot of issues with Poro being able to set Patri the ball. That, that connection was not very good and led to a lot of Milano either losing matches or sending Patri to the bench because they couldn't afford to bench their Italian setter. Um, curious to see about that. The other move they made that I really liked is they lose Bartolomeu Cinegnese, who's incredible, but they bring in Agustin Loser. Uh, the Argentinian middle who was unbelievable at World Championships, and I'm really excited to see him play in Italy. Then uh, Matteo Piano or Marco Vitelli in the middle is another Italian, either one, fine. And then uh, Pesaresi at, Li- at Libero is good. What do you think, Tommy, about the Poro and Patri connection? Do you agree with me that that's probably the, the thing that held this team back last year the most? Probably. It was uh, surely an issue. I mean, Poro is, is very young. I think he's 21, 22, or even younger and uh, so yes, uh, I, he has all the time in the world to 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 improve. But yeah, that that connection with Patri really really struggled last year, and it really ha- held uh, held him down. And uh, yeah, things didn't really with with all even with all the things we said about uh, Romano's physical condition. It's not like with Romano that things got real better. I think uh, he struggled a bit with his uh, with his style of setting. So yeah, Porro might uh, might have to adjust some things in order to to Milano to perform. And just a quick thing, you mentioned uh, you mentioned loser, and uh, I think he is. Uh, I, th- I heard that he is going to get uh, Italian citizenship soon. But, wow! Really? But just just to clarify the rules, in order to be um, considered an Italian in um, in Superlega, having citizenship is not enough. Otherwise, Bruno would count as an Italian for Modena as well. But you have to be potentially eligible for the Italian national team. 
So even if, if uh, loser gets um, gets Italian citizenship, it won't be automatically considered an Italian. He has to ditch uh, the Argentinian uh, eligibility first, and I think sometimes have to pass. I think they also re reformed the rules a little bit, so I'm not sure uh, uh, if that's still the case. But uh, last time I checked, it, they have they had to be you have to be three years without playing in a national team in order that's... to switch. Uh, that's what I thought. At least that's what I thought it used to be. And is there's quite the buffer period there. And I don't know if I can see Loser ditching his eligibility yeah, for the Argentinian national team. But yeah, aside from that uh, technical question, I think that uh, I can't help but to see Milano as a disappointment. Why am I saying that? Because uh, Milano is by far the biggest city represented in uh, Superliga. They have uh, 1,300,000 inhabitants. The second largest is Verona, which doesn't reach 300,000. They have a brand new arena. They have a massive arena sponsor in, in Allianz Insurance. And last year, they were linked to, to Lucarelli. They were linked to Zaitsev. They made offer to both of them, but ultimately, both of them rejected Milano. And uh, that, that tells us they weren't really happy with Patri, but they ultimately got uh, got with Patri. So <laughs> that wasn't the plan for Milano. And I'm pretty sure having a body poor starter wasn't the plan either. I think they were aiming for, uh, for Luca Lucarelli. Rally. I remember that. And uh, so Milano wanted to be uh, to aim at the, the top dogs and this uh, this year won, they won't uh, likely as they didn't like the previous season. But as you said, they're still a, an interesting team. They will uh, easily make the playoffs. Uh, and uh, I think that um, we, I think that also um, the, the Mergarejo could uh, find some, uh, some, some space in the season. I don't think it's impossible that he gradually takes a body place. It all depends on how they, on who's the quicker to adapt to, to Superlega because Superlega, as we, we said multiple times, is pretty uh, unforgiven. They're both they're both foreigners, so they can uh, be exchanged with no problem. It not depends because you, you saw you saw some uh, well-established player fail Superlega. You see you saw some brand new players absolutely have an immediate impact on Superlega. So I'm curious to see who's gonna who's gonna win. Uh, this uh, outside hitter battle, of course, Abadipur is the, the, the clear favorite uh, starting the season. But I don't see as impossible Mergarejo come back and take Abadipur's place. Yeah, I think uh, Osniel Mergarejo, a Cuban guy, good player, really good prospect, and has potential to see some minutes on this Milano team. I'm surprised they went on and got Milad Abadipur because Abadipur spent so long in his career getting Polish citizenship and not counting against the foreigner limit in Poland. And yeah. that was a huge advantage for him playing there. And I'm surprised that, I mean, they must have paid him a lot to come to Italy and, and take that advantage away. Uh, another thing that I want to bring up is a very technical, detailed thing about how Agustin Loser plays and about how he attacks. There's some of the things that we were seeing in the World Championship with him and DiCecco. And DiCecco is amazing, obviously. There are these really high-level... I call them drift patterns where the middle, the middle attacker will jump, 
but he'll be jumping with his momentum moving to the side. So where the opposing blocker lines up against him is not where the attacker actually ends up. The attacker is, is jumping and drifting laterally. And the connection with the setter that you have to have to run those attack patterns that are really sophisticated is very, very demanding. And that's one of Losair's advantages. I mean, he's an outstanding fundamental blocker, but he's not that big. And he's not like going to be a straight-up attacker where he's just going to run directly in front of the center every time and be able to hit the angles. He needs that movement and that spacing as an attacker. I'm not convinced that Poro is the caliber of setter that that will work. No, probably not. Uh, but uh, I agree that uh, losers, uh, loser movements uh, kind of remind me of, uh, kind of, repeat, of the, the, the fast-attacking women's volleyball. Ah. A smaller scale, uh, fast attacking. Of course, it's different. Of course, it's uh, much quicker. But it, the, the way he drifts and that he moves the momentum on the outside, it kind of reminds me of that pattern. But yeah, I, I completely agree that it's way too early to try that with Porro. And Porro still has to grow a lot <laughs> before. Porro still has to learn how to set Patri the ball before yeah. he focuses yeah. on, on, on setting low set. Let's start from the basics. <laughs> So, I mean, I kind of agree with you. Milano has the talent. They'll make the playoffs easily. I, I think they could end up being a little bit disappointing. I think sixth is a is a reasonable spot to put them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on to the top four. And this is the, the top four teams that have dominated Italian volleyball for years and years and years. And I'm excited to hear your thoughts, Tommy, on this one because you are a diehard Modena fan. So let's All talk- of the time, I have to go. <laughs> So let's talk about Modena, Tommy. You can't avoid yeah. this. Um, you, you've got you've given the Volleyball Source Discord a lot of great inside information about Modena over the years. There's so much that we've learned from you about this team. This is an interesting roster for Modena. They still have Bruno. They still have Irvin Ingapet. They still have Rossini at libero. And they still have uh, my absolute hero, Daddy Stankovic in the middle, who counts as an Italian. But... A lot, of, a lot of other moving parts around that. No more Namir Abdelaziz. Uh, he's going to Turkey, of all places. And so they go out and get Adis Lagumshia, who I think is a really good opposite. Um, but uh, of an entire season of volume, I'm not convinced. They needed another middle blocker. They went and got Tobias Crick, of all people, which I was a move I was kind of surprised by. And they needed another Italian in the starting lineup, so they go out and get a really good prospect in Tommaso Rinaldi will be their second outside hitter. We saw him play a lot of Chisterna last year. Does this particular Modena roster, I mean, their issue last year was depth. Very well may be a problem again this year, but do they have that talent in the starting seven to remain a top four team in the league? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, but uh, of course, as you said, um, in, the, in the past of season, Modena went through some uh, financial trouble. And the, most of all, they had this... Um, um, there these, these negotiations uh, for an ownership change that went on uh, much longer than they should have. So when they finally broke off uh, with uh, with this uh, with this uh, Italian guy who is pretty famous in America, Mr. Giuseppe Vinci, the guy who founded Volumetrics, mm. when when things broke up with him, they they found a new ownership, but it was really late in the off season. So they had to to deal with what's left, and that's the reason why they signed Crick because there was pretty much they they had a foreigner <clears throat> spot left after uh, Dici Mazzone, 
so they said, okay, there's quick available. Uh, worst case scenario, it gets our TikTok followers up. <laughs> but, that, I mean, that's fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. I mean, why, but, why do you think Viva Valencia signed Nishida last year? Yeah, but uh, I mean, I think Crick is, is an improvement over my, over at least last season Mazzone, last couple of season Mazzone. So yeah, I agree with that. It's not that that, that bad of a signing. And um, then, of course, you talked about Lagunja. I actually like him a lot. Me too. And he had a very good uh, Maiden Superlega season in two years ago in Monza. Problem is, uh, um, Piacenza last year spent a lot of money buying him out because he still had like two years in his Monza contract. So they, I think they paid a pretty uh, fairly large buyout to sign him. And uh, he had a good start, but uh, I mean, during the season, most time it he has been subbed by Tonchek Stern, who came up and saved the day. I remember the the Italian Cup quarterfinals against Modena Lagunja had a terrible start. Then Stern went up and finished with something like eighty-seven percent kills, something incredible. And uh, but uh, I saw him save the day in Piacenza more than once. Yeah, the playoff series with Trentino was was similar. I remember uh, Stern coming in several times and being an improvement. So this is going to be, of course, a transition year for Modena. We'll see what what they can do next year when they can uh, start the off season along with the other teams, and we'll see how this new ownership will uh, will fare, will fare in terms of uh, economic firepower. But of course, you have to talk about the, the players who didn't uh, didn't deliver or partially deliver last season. And of course, you think of Bruno, who came back in Modena for the fourth time of his career with great expectations. But uh, we, I think we can all agree that he underachieved uh, pretty badly last season. He went back, kind of went back to his usual self in the latest part of the season, in the playoffs. But for most of the regular season, it was almost unrecognizable. He and um, Ngapet did slightly better, but he was—I uh, think—he was pretty out of shape. Uh, I mean, of course, he had a, a very, a very hard, uh, very hard summer. He had the Olympics, he, then he had the European Championship. He was, uh, he was really tired. He was a bit overweight also as well. Yeah, we've seen that from him before. Yeah. <laughs> we've seen how it affects him. I mean, the match that France lost to Italy in the World Championship was a good example. Yeah, and of course, um, Rossini, uh, he's not the, the Rossini who won the, the Scudetto in 2006 no. with Modena. No, I, I thought he was, frankly, pretty terrible last year. Yes, especially on reception. In defense, yeah. he, he, he delivered. He was pretty decent on defense, but in when it came to service, uh, service he was pretty, pretty bad. And then, of course, the the, the most interesting thing is Tommaso Rinaldi. He was named uh, MVP at the uh, under under nineteen World Championship a couple of years ago. He spent a couple of years in Modena, and uh, the last one training with uh, with a guy like Matt Anderson. And uh, he said that he was his he, he idolized him, and uh, he was really excited to be training with him. Then he was loaned to Cisterna. He was a starter, but then he had some kind of a lukewarm season. He had some uh, good games, uh, some bad games. Uh, but I remember his best game was against Modena when he scored uh, like 24 points and uh, six aces. And uh, after the game, he had some bitter comments saying like, 
ah, in the post-COVID season, I expected to, to play more. So this was kind of a revenge game for me. And now he's back in Modena, he's back to start. So I don't expect him to score like uh, eight points per set. I mean, I would be thrilled if he does, but I don't expect <laughs> it. But uh, after, after that game, I expect him to give all he's got every game. He's still young. I think he's 22, 21 or something. So he's yeah. uh, 2001. Yes. So yeah, 21. He's 21, so he has a lot of road ahead. But yeah, he needs to to give uh, give all his gut in training. He have to give all his gut in uh, uh, in matches. Johnny uh, is usually a guy who works well with youngsters, and uh, and then of course uh, there is another uh, interesting young prospect in Lorenzo Pope. I'm, I was just about to bring him up. Yeah, speaking of outside hitter prospects born in 2001, this Australian kid Pope that we met in VNL this year. I'm I can't I doubt we're gonna see him that much on the court. But for his development, being in Modena's gym the entire season is going to be huge for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, I recently heard uh, an interview with Johnny that said he was uh, he had to actually hold him back in training because he said that he's uh, he gives him he gives too much, he jumps too high, he jumps too many times, and he's he's I mean, he's really eager to to play it to learn. And as I said, Johnny kind of has to hold him back because otherwise he will burn out uh, before the end of the season. That's, that's a good problem to have, though, isn't it? Yeah, of course. But uh, since Modena is going to play in the in the, in the CV Cup as well, he may have his chances. And uh, maybe we, we could, uh, if Renard is not delivering, we could actually see uh, uh, Bossy coming in for Crick and uh, Pope having his chance. And let's not forget that uh, Modena right now has uh, just uh, three outside hitters. Right. It has been, uh, it, well, it, it's not a, rim, a rumor anymore. And they are um, they are trying to, to sign the Chinese outside hitter Zhang. And I don't think he will um, be able to provide a great contribution, but he will um, probably be useful as well. He, he won't be a game changer, but... Uh, yeah, they I mean, just need somebody. They need somebody yeah. else in the gym. You can't play a whole Super League season with only three outside hitters. No, especially if you have a European Cup as well. No, oh, exactly. So yeah, Modena will play CEV Cup this year. I'm glad you brought that up. But yeah, of of the teams who I think are most likely to drop out of that top four, I think Modena is probably the most likely. Uh, no offense to your fandom, Tommy, but the, no, no, I I think that the I think best case scenario they finish fifth. So I agree with you. I don't okay. think they, I. Gave them like ten percent chances of finishing the top four. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I mean, but I mean, Modena is still Modena, still a great, great home crowd, great culture, and fortunately, uh, all the fans back in the stands this year. So uh, that provides more of an economic boost to Modena than most clubs, if what I understand is correct. Yeah, I confirm. Okay, uh, let's let's move on. We've got three teams left here, and the first one is a very interesting one. A team that really had. Very innovative team from last year, had a, a lot of success and redefined a lot of things about how club teams think about some things. That's Trentino. And what yeah. I mean by that is what Trentino ended up doing last year is ditching the opposite position entirely. They said, who needs that? <laughs> we, we, don't need a, we don't need a guy across from the setter who bangs 35 balls a game and scores 20 points. We don't need that guy. We're going to put three outside hitters out there at all times and move things around and play around with different rotations and really use the versatility of our lineup. And they came out last year, shocked 
everybody by winning the Super Cup because nobody had seen that style before. Then teams started to slowly figure it out throughout the year. Um, they went all the way to the finals of the Champions League. They beat Perugia in that semifinal before losing there. But then they eventually ran out of the gas. Game. Yeah, oh, all all time great, all time great series. I had the, the pleasure of calling that for CV. That was a, a career highlight for sure. All time great series. We saw the breakout of Alessandro Micheletto, of course, two years ago. But then they kind of ran out of gas in the in the, the Scudetto playoffs. However, they didn't really lose anybody. Uh, well, all they lost was Julian Zenger, and then they bring in Gabriele Lorenzano, who's a young Italian libero prospect who I love. I loved him at Toronto last year, and that gives them even more freedom with the foreigners than they had before because now they've got four Italians in the starting lineup. So the other guy that they brought in was Donovan Javoranoka from Monza, the Czech outside hitter. So now they've, they've got that same three outside hitter style that we expect them to play with Lavia and Micheletto as two of the main options. We assume that Lavia will line up opposite of Spertoli, the setter. And they've got the two great Serbians in the middle with Lisa Nats and Podrashinen. But they still have Matej Kaziski. So now they still they have way more options than they did last year in terms of outside hitters, and Kaziski's not getting any younger. So, Tommy, how do you see this Trentino team and Coach Lorenzetti, who did such a good job with them last year, how do you see them managing the roster with all these options now? Well, they'll, they'll have to make uh, some decisions, of course, because they will play in Champions League. And the uh, Champions League can be, I'm not saying as tiring as Superliga, but they will uh, surely add some, uh, some uh, ha- add some stuff on their backs. They're, uh, they're in a hard pool too. They're in Zaxa's pool. So they're going to yeah. get that Zaxa rematch in the pool stage yeah. of Champions League. You again. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you, you said Kazishki is not going to uh, get any younger. And of course, it's true. But uh, I mean... Uh, how long have we been saying that? I mean, he's... he was so good last year. It was crazy how good he was last year at age like 30, whatever. Yeah, uh, he's one year older than me, so he's 38. Unbelievable. He's He was so good last year. And now he doesn't even necessarily have to play every game with Zavarnok in there, who I think he fits perfectly in the style. Yeah. 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 Of course. And he had a really good season uh, last year in Monza. I mean, the first season in Monza, he clearly showed talent, but he was uh, also um, a bit inconsistent. He could score like 20 points with 60% kills one game, and then I have like 28% kills the the following game. Last season, he was really consistent. I think he he really, um, I wouldn't say he peaked, but he went much closer to, to his peak. And uh, he's a really good addition to a team that was already good. As you said, it gives them more option, and uh, but I think that they they got better in the sense that some of their players got better in the meantime. Yes, I mean take Lavia. Lavia had uh, two years ago in Modena. He was kind of lukewarm. He was um, had a so and so season. Then he started uh, complaining. I want to go to move to another team. Okay, I go to Trento. And then uh, Lorenzetti moved him opposite. Uh, he played a really good season, but I think that he was one of the best players. Uh, and maybe after Gianelli was the best player of the, of the Italian team. Absolutely and, was. It was crazy that he didn't get like a, an all-tournament award or one of the best outside yeah, in the world championship. I mean, he was I mean, awesome. 
I mean, uh, I, we talked about uh, Galassi probably not deserving to be there, but Lavia absolutely deserved to be there. It's he was the third third best scorer. He finished the world championship with like fifty three percent kills as an outside hitter. It's terrific and a great blocker. We would yeah. Everett and I have talked about. It. He's an outstanding blocker on both sides, both the right and the left side, which is not necessarily easy to block in both directions. I think that's a real reason why Trentino can be so successful with that lineup is because yeah. Lavia can block on the right so well. Yeah, absolutely agree. So my, my question, though, and I mean, we, we, we don't even need to talk about how good the middles are. And Lisa Nats and Pedrasco, they're, they're incredible. Can this team win a Scudetto? That's my question, because I'm they're, they're obviously very, very good. They came up just barely short in both Champions League and the Scudetto last year. They're good. Are they great enough to actually win one of these things? That's a very, very good question. I think they're still not ready, but uh, I mean... We talked earlier about the fact that some teams uh, in uh, Superliga will not get relegated because there are worse teams. I think <laughs> the opposite is true for Trentino. Mm. I think I think uh, they won't win the Scudetto, but just because there is at least one team that is uh, just better than them, significantly better than them. But if it wasn't for them, they clearly had uh, uh, had a shot. I think they are the. Along with Piacenza, they are the most likely candidate to finish second. I think what held them back ultimately last year was that they they were kind of tired at the end of the season, despite the, their roster wasn't that deep, especially in the, in the outside hitter position, because, of course, uh, Kaziski had a hell of a season, but he, he, he was still 37. So at right. the end of the season... He didn't have that much stamina, and the the, the first alternative was was Cavuto, which is, uh, with all the due respect, and not exactly Leon. <laughs> and uh, and I also think that they, they against the big teams um, they kind of suffered with the uh, let's call it the, the Lawrence City team with Lavia as a fake opposite, because when you face uh, um, uh, an equally uh, an equally powerful team on offense, uh, you kind of want to have a real opposite uh, on your team. But I think with the, the way Lavia is progressing this year, this might not be that much of an issue. So I'm very curious to see how we will fare after the incredible world championship he had, if he can deliver the same thing uh, 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 on the right side as well. And as you said, I'm very, very, very thrilled about uh, Gabriele Laurenzano. I mean, this this guy is 19. He's awesome, crazy good defender. One of the made, best like natural defenders I've ever seen. Made in season in Superlega, he was I don't I don't know if he was actually the best libero or the second best libero for passing efficiency. I mean, and you're not even 20. So <laughs> yeah, it was a great signing for uh, for Trento, and uh, I'm sure he will keep the, the this level up. Yeah, that, that Trentino is a fascinating team. I mean, such so innovative with the style last year, but how far can it take them now with a, a, mostly the same look and now everyone's got another year of experience playing against it. I think that's another factor as well. Yeah, uh, so, think about it, one final thing. I think one yeah. of the potential pitfalls for Trento is that th with respect to the other contenders, they don't seem to have that much depth. I mean, except yeah, for Kaziski, of course. 
I mean, if if Lavia gets injured, uh, uh, Nelly is supposed to, to start. Uh, that's that's the last thing anybody needs is exactly. giving Gabrielli Nelly meaningful playing time. I mean, they have vote to hear as like a young Belgian kid backup middle. He yeah, was okay. He's yeah, he's okay. But I, I agree with you. We kind of saw it late last year. I know in Champions League, Lavia got hurt and uh, they had to bring in Penali to play true opposite. And he looked invisible like we kind of expected. And so th- that is a good point. Uh, late in the season, uh, Trentino last year looked very, very tired. I think Everett and I talked about it at the time. I, that could be a problem for them again. Or maybe they can use uh, Kaczynski as a, as a fake opposite. He played like that in Verona two years ago. So I remember that. That could be a, yeah, an option. They've got some options. Yeah, also they uh, have they already have four Italians, so that would they could actually bring him for La Via and they wouldn't have to make other moves. Yeah, having that Italian libero is crucially helpful for their foreigner situation this yeah. year. So Tommy, speaking of teams with options, yeah. we gotta talk about Perugia. <laughs> we have got to talk about Perugia. What an absolutely ridiculous lineup this team has put together. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Now, this is a year after going 22 and 2 in the regular season, finishing in first place by a mile, but still failing to win a major tournament. All they won last year was the Coppa Italia. They lost in that great semifinal series in Champions League to Trentino, and they lost in the final to Lube Chiva de Nova kind of out of nowhere. Now, I know Wilfredo Leon was injured. He ended up having knee surgery. They go out and get Camille Semenyuk. They go out and get Flavio as, as a significant upgrade in the second middle position. They get Sebastian Soleil to ditch the Argentinian national team and count as an Italian. And then out of nowhere, the Italian government, not, not like the, the Italian Volleyball Federation, the Italian government comes out of the clouds and out of nowhere bestows Italian citizenship upon Camille Rickliski out of yeah, but- nowhere. Yeah, but uh, that's a very controversial topic. Just one thing: sure I think he will uh, it will still count uh, as a foreigner for this season. Oh, will he? I think so. Okay. Not that it'll matter matter for Perugia because Soleil no. counts as Italian now, so it, they still have three. But th- that was no, but just I, so strange. Last time I checked, he was still count, uh, listed as um, uh, Luxembourgese. Uh, so it will count as a foreigner at least for this season. Okay. And that was a really, really controversial uh, move because the, the official reason is, uh, is that uh, we'll give him Italian citizenship for the service he, he made to our country. And my question is, which one? What's... I mean, <laughs> th- there are foreign players that have been in Superliga longer than him that... Uh, have won far more than him. That Matej uh, Kaziski, for example, of, exactly. of, all, of all guys to give Italian citizenship to because of great achievements in sport, why wouldn't you give it to him? He won yeah. three Champions Leagues for Trentino. Yeah, or even Rafael, uh, if you feel yeah. Like yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of, I mean, even Gapetta, I mean, I think he should be able to qualify for Italian citizenship. And Riklitschki is not even been around for that long. I mean, I think it's his Fourth I think, I think it's his fourth season. He had a Ravana, Lube, Perugia, now Perugia again. Yeah, so right? it's it's hard not to think that the, uh, uh, let's say that Perugia didn't spend uh, the money just on the roster. Let's leave it that way. <laughs> I, I mean, because it's very strange. All I mean, 
and I, it's, it's hard it's hard not to draw that conclusion it, it's hard yeah also it's some things in the volleyball movement in italy are a bit shady and of course one could argue not only volleyball movement but the, the, <laughs> there have been some shady things in the past and the rules change midway through the seasons and i mean this shouldn't surprise you in uh, the, the end of the day but yeah it didn't, it's very suspicious tommy i have a question for you yeah. if if you put out if, if you made a 13th Superlega team out of the seven Perugia bench players, yeah, how high in the Superlega would they finish? Because I think that, honestly, their bench alone has a chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, that's, play playoffs that's how, that's uh, how play for sure. Playoffs for crazy. sure. Crazy. So listen to their bench. Ole Plotnitsky at outside. We talked about him throughout the World Championship. This man absolutely deserves to be starting somewhere he's going to come off the bench for perugia i can't believe that uh their other outside hitter is julio cardenas this this young cuban prospect you have jesus herrera the lefty from cuba who played opposite you have gregor ropred of slovenia as the backup center you have stefano mangozzi and roberto russo as your backup middles both of whom are excellent and then you have alessandro piccinelli as your backup libero that starting seven could easily make the playoffs in the superlega and that's perugia's really? bench I mean, uh, it's crazy. Let's not forget Herrera was, if I remember correctly, the, the best scorer at the last World Championship. So not exactly a pushover. Russo took over uh, for uh, uh, Galassi, Galassi, if I remember, Galassi in the World Championship you know? final. Yeah, Piccinelli was supposed to be uh, uh, Balazos' uh, backup, but they ultimately went with uh, with Scanferla. So he's not pushover. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and neither and uh, Mengozzi is not uh, maybe a top tier uh, middle but he, he is not um, I mean start, he had a starting, good year last year yeah he had start, a very good year last year for Perugia starting Mengozzi is not a shame in Superlega he's a good blocker he has a pretty tricky flat serve I mean yeah they I, I see them like reaching sixth to seventh <laughs> place if one of the other teams the tank or uh, or have some kind of um, couple of injuries. Uh, that's and that's the bench. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So uh, we, we've got we've got to talk about the starters though, because obviously last year was a disappointment for them because they they're they have the highest budget in the league. Like you said, they extended Wilfredo Leon. He had his surgery. He should be healthy now in theory. I guess there were some questions about Matt Anderson's play, but then you go out and get Camille Semenyuk, who is unbelievable. You have Simona Gianelli setting because the year before. You, you could blame Dragan Travica for Perugia's failures. You can't do that anymore. Uh, you bring in Flavio, so you have a great second middle blocker. What's Perugia's excuse this year if they don't win everything they participate in? Being Perugia, probably. <laughs> 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 Meaning that they have, uh, since since uh, Mr. Sirci, who is the owner and the chairman, started uh, splashing some serious cash on the team, uh, I think we can all agree that they underperformed. They had uh, one... Uh, blessed season in uh, 2007 2017 2018 when they won the italian treble and uh and, and they did it with bernardi on the bench let's not forget <laughs> that's a real achievement right there yeah but th that that was uh, i think uh, uh zaitsev's best season in the italian league by far because he sacrificed himself a lot as an outside hitter yeah i played on he the left side Right. Yeah, he left a lot of the offensive load to, to Russell, who played out of his mind in that year. So really sacrificed himself a lot. And Colacci had one of the best seasons of his career. Everything went well for uh, uh, for Perugia that year. 
but since then they all they always had some kind of uh, uh, issue somewhere along the line the first year they had uh, leon and uh, atanasievich uh, uh, choking in the final because they were tired and possibly even injured then they had atanasievich uh, starting uh, to, to to fight with hayden and they ended up with Tyster Horst at opposite and Travitz yeah. setting. That team was awful. Yeah. And last year, probably they had, they had the injured Leon who uh, probably carried down the team because uh, Anderson was, uh, was starting to, to pant as well. I mean, the, the guy is 36, 35 as well. Uh, and uh, Rikrichki had a pretty good season, but uh, he's still not that opposite that makes you win a, a Scudetto final. I think that's exactly the point. He's a good opposite. He's, he's a, a good role-playing opposite, but he's not that opposite that's going to make you win a Scudetto final. And that's what they needed Leon to be, but he was clearly not 100% last year. Yeah, but uh, as you said, this year they are absolute behemoth. I mean, they have the best player in the world in Wilfredo Leon the World Championship MVP in Simone Gianelli, the Champions League MVP in Kami Shemenyuk. <laughs> I mean, they really have to put quite an effort not to win everything so this that, year. That's, that's it. And they have a new coach, and this is important to bring yeah. up because uh, Andrea Anastasi is back uh, coaching in Italy again. He's coaching Perugia. This has been an absolute revolving door of coaches. Perugia uh, cho- choosing to sack uh, Nikola Gerbich because they didn't want him to go coach the Polish national team. That's at least what I heard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, more. Uh, I mean, I think the last uh, uh, three coaches, if you don't count, uh, if you don't count Anastasia, of course, uh, have all been sacked because at the end of the day, they they didn't get along with uh, with Mr. Sirci, the owner and chairman, which uh, on one side is the main benefactor of Perugia because the, he's really, really, really spends a lot of uh, money on the team. And not only the team, and I'm not talking about the, the <laughs> I'm not talking about the Ricci this time. And there is a bit of a fan controversy that maybe one day we'll talk about. But yeah, I mean, um, Bernardi uh, didn't get had some fights uh, with Sirci even when they reached the the Champions League final against uh, against Zenit Kazan, and they had a, a live TV fight. Back then, and then the next year he got fired because of how he handled the team. Then Heinen got fired because how he handled the whole Atanasievich thing, and then Gurbich got fired because he refused to uh, refuse. Uh, sorry for the repetition. The the, the Polish uh, the Polish job. So let's see if he can uh, if he can uh, fire Anastasi as well. <laughs> that may be that may be the only pitfall Perugia can uh, can go through this season. Sierci uh, meddling too much as he often does with the, with the team, with the coach, and uh, bringing in bringing some controversy, some bad mood inside the team. But uh, it's still a pretty long shot. I mean, they could easily win even if they, everyone hated each other. There's a there's a comment in the chat with this roster, Rob could be the coach and they'd still win. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> I, I actually would like to formally volunteer. I would like to volunteer myself to be the head coach of this Perugia team because well, I am. You know what happened in the last season? Be ready. <laughs> I am willing to get fired if we fail to win, but it would be crazy if uh, <laughs> if this Perugia team doesn't win. It'd be absolutely ridiculous. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we will see. Uh, Tommy is is Sirci the Jerry Jones of Italian volleyball? Jerry Jones, like the owner, general manager of the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know if you, you know enough about that reference, but they're exactly the same to me. Meddling in the team's affairs too much. 
I'm not uh, I'm particularly um, uh, familiar with Jerry Jones. I, I know on the basketball side that Mark Cuban uh, is a pretty voiceful owner that he likes to to meddle in and stuff. And yeah, Sirch is something like that. But I have to say Peru just some kind of a tradition in that sense because their their soccer team uh, like 20 years ago they had a similar uh, kind less rich of course it was co- it was called uh, Mr. Gaucci. And uh, he had yeah, the habit of firing coaches, uh, like mm-hmm. he changed his underwear. And, uh, <laughs> and he made some controversial calls. Uh, and yeah, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's the year of Perugia that uh, drives you <laughs> kind of mad. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not very familiar with Jerry Jones, but uh, you got the type. Yeah, it's it's it would be, I think you said it. It would be crazy. It would be more unlikely for them to find a way not to win everything they participated in this year. All right. So speaking of teams that actually do win things, last but not least, we got to talk about the reigning champions. Uh, Lubitsch Ivadinova came kind of out of nowhere last year and persevered through a lot. And uh, Osmani Wantarena's season-long injury and just a lot of uncertainty and Ivan Zaitsev getting older and all sorts of stuff last year and they still won the Scudetto anyway and the the thing was that we kind of saw this coming but this offseason they are they made a ton of moves and now look like a completely different team no more Osmani Wantarena for the first time in forever no more Robert Landy Simone no more Lucarelli even Jiri Kovar for what it's worth, is no longer with with, with the four tour master, the four twenty legend himself, uh, who we love to make fun of in the Discord. But Lube goes out, and they they make some interesting moves. So their Italians are Fabio Balasso. That is an excellent anchor. Uh, probably, the, I mean, clearly the best libero at the at the World Championship. Pro- the best Italian libero in the league. Terrific. You're never going to have any problems with him. Yeah. They, they go out and get Mattia Botolo from Padova bring him over to Lube which is a move I was interested in and he's going to have to play a lot because he's Italian then you have a very interesting problem in opposite because you have Ivan Zaitsev who's Italian who's a legend he's not getting any younger we didn't see him have the greatest season last year even though he was coming off of injury so then you have Gabby Garcia to back him up but he's he's a foreigner he was, was Puerto Rican now he's American then another really weird thing that I'm surprised they did is went out and got two foreign middles they went out and got Bartolome Chinignese from Milano, and they went out and got Isak Santos from Brazil and Sada Crucero. And that, I mean, we think that that will put Simone Anzani on the bench. I know he's probably going to play a lot this year because he's Italian. But, and of course, uh, Luciano DiCecco setting and Marlon Yance is one of the outside hitters. They also went out and got Alex Nikolov, the Bulgarian prospect. This is one of the most fascinating roster management problems in recent Superliga memory for me. How do you see this going, Tommy, with the, the different moving parts that Lube has in, as options and having to comply with the Italian limit all the time? I honestly don't think the Italian, um, Italian quota will be an issue because, as you said, the, the, uh, even if it's, if it's not the intended starter, maybe Simone Anzani is still a, a, world, champions, a world championship uh, starter. He, he he did really good last year. He was a great blocker, and he he had this kind of a hybrid serve that he didn't really use at the World Championship. But he has this hybrid. Uh, it's uh, nasty. 
flow, floater, spin, serve that is really, really, really nasty. It kind of kind of reminds me of the one that Kujamernik had a couple of years ago, but with a bit more spin. And so they, I think that with a little bit of uh, uh, of dom dominoing, let's say, uh, they will always find a way to, to comply with Italian the Italian's rule. I mean, we, we talked about money a lot in this episode, but uh, money is an issue in, uh, in Superlega. And uh, Lube has been, uh, along with Perugia, the, by far the, the biggest spender in the last uh, five, six seasons. And naturally, they were the, the biggest contenders uh, along with Perugia in the last season. Let's not forget they won the last three Scudettos. They won the, the six Scudettos in the last 10 seasons, not counting, not of course, counting the short and the COVID season. That's crazy amount of success. Crazy yeah. to win six out of 10. Crazy. Yeah, so they've been, of course, consistent uh, given the, I mean, the, the, the Lube Kitchens is one of the, uh, is I think that the second biggest uh, kitchen uh, factory in Italy. They have a uh, 200 million euros uh, euros uh, revenue, Whoa. so they have the money. But uh, this year they clearly said we can't um, we can't afford to spend that much money on volleyball anymore. So we're gonna plan plan a little bit. We're gonna give more space to to youngsters. We're gonna have to do some scouting and that's where also Nikolov uh, comes in. It's a very, very interesting prospect, but is of course, um, it's early for him to make a difference in Superliga probably. Yeah. And but, al although he is fluent in Italian, he still yeah. counts as a foreigner. So he's yeah. like, he, he's, he's going to be a great prospect, but I don't see him playing that much this year just because he's 18 and he doesn't help you with the Italian thing. No, but, but they have a uh, Jant who was uh, Terrific last year, despite outstanding, being, outstanding despite being 21, he has a incredible athletic uh, potential, and uh, he he still has much to learn, and he can he really can be the the, the next one to reign, uh, not just because he's Cuban uh, uh, as the former Lube player. Speaking of which, the uh, one Torreno leaving Lube was kind of controversial because he I was remember. actually he was actually supposed to play in Lube this season as well. But at last minute, uh, he went to the management and said, uh, you know what, I'm going to China. They offered me a bunch of money, see you. And uh, that kind of meddled with uh, Lube's planning. But they also have a very interesting uh, prospect in Bottolo. He had a really good season uh, last year. He was a really, a really good weapon from the line, but also on the offense. Maybe he's not ready to take on, uh, to be the, the starter of a, uh, uh, Scudetto contender, but uh, we'll see about that. There's and a couple then... that, 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 that's, that's exactly right. I think there's a lot of kind of turning points of this Lube team about what kind of season they're going to have. Botolo is a big one. There, so uh, it's it's time to give our obligatory shout out to the great Ronnie Cuban Spike because we can't yeah. have we can't have a volleyball source episode without talking about Ronnie Cuban Spike. But he he messaged me earlier today because. Lube has been playing these preseason scrimmages and they played one against Perugia where apparently they got smacked four to zero. What he, what Ronnie told me is two important things. One is that Marlon Yant is hurt and he, and he, that he won't probably won't be able ready to play until about week three of the season. And I mean, Yant didn't even play that much of the world championship for Cuba. He's been dealing with an injury all summer. So that's something to follow along with for sure. Yeah. The other thing <laughs> 
that he told me is that Isak Santos, the Brazilian middle that they're bringing in, who did not play the world championship at all because of a back injury, that back injury might keep him out for a lot longer than that. I heard maybe even the whole season. There's a, there's wow. a chance. There's a chance that uh, from, from what I heard, I guess what, whatever Ronnie heard, that Isak's back injury might require surgery and that might keep him out the entire season. But as much as that sucks, they still have Anzani. And Anzani is a very, very good elite-level Italian middle blocker. And again, he's Italian, so it frees up Lube to do some other things. They've also got Gabi Garcia at opposite, who played a decent amount last year and was pretty good. So a lot of options. I, there's no way they repeat their championship with this particular group. Yeah, very unlikely. Very unlikely. I think they could still finish in the top four, though. It's going to be an interesting coaching oh. project for Bongini. Probably. Uh, you mentioned Gabi Garcia, so he is uh, officially uh, counted uh, as a U.S. player. Yes, uh, he can't play for the U.S. national team until 2024, but he was okay. in the gym. He was in the American gym all summer, uh, so he, he is an American volleyball player now. I'm asking because if you count him out, this would be the first uh, Super League season since forever without American players. I was thinking about that earlier, and uh, he, I, he's, he's the only one. He's the only kind of American player in the entire Superliga. It's crazy to me that for like following along with this league, there won't be any American players other than Gabby yeah, this also, entire year. No DeFalco, no Anderson, no Russell, no Jeschke, no Max Holt. No, no, everybody's gone. It's crazy. And it's even crazier if you think that uh, if you look at the, the women's championship, there will be like, uh, I think if I can correctly, out of 68 foreign players, 21 will be Americans. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, yeah. I, and that doesn't surprise me at all. And the, 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 the Italian Women's League last year was dominated by Americans and it probably will be again. Yeah, we'll, the, it's going to be a very a much more even uh, season now that the gone is gone. But yeah, that's... Yep. Uh, that's for another thing. Another show entirely. Yeah, just yeah. to wrap up this Lube team, yeah, somebody exactly. uh, somebody putting in the chat, I know why Nikolov is in Lube. I will tell you in Discord if interested. Uh, yes, I am Ooh, interested. I see. And uh, you should all join the Volleyball Source Discord. Uh, the link yeah. is in the description. And that, so some of those spicy news bits like that one or like Tommy was alluding to earlier, uh, the Discord is the place to get into those. So definitely join that. Uh, Point in the chat, didn't Zaitsev play outside hitter against Perugia? He means in the scrimmages like today or yesterday. The answer is yes, because really? because Yant's not healthy. Um, like Botolo was there, and Nikolov is at the U20 European Championships with Bulgaria oh. right now. So, yes, we did see Ivan on the left. I think, who's their fourth outside hitter? Is it Mattia Gotardo? Yeah, Gotardo. I don't know who he is. He was the, the backup libero last year in, uh, in Padova, and he's, he was one of the guys who came from the, the, their youth academy. I think he also played for the under-21 uh, national team. I don't remember if he played as an outside hitter or, or a libero. I think as an outside hitter. But yeah, I remember uh, that um, Lube's general manager made it clear that uh, we signed uh, Gottardo to play uh, as an outside hitter, not as a libero. Okay. But yeah, he's likely a defensive specialist um, and not that uh, gifted on offense. Yeah. But yeah, we mentioned Zaitsev. Zaitsev, I think, is going to be a really big question mark on Lube. Uh, first thing, because uh, yeah, uh, he may have played on the left on this uh, preseason game, 
but remember that uh, he left Perugia because he didn't want to play on the left anymore. Yeah. He does so, not. He does not want to play on the left. That needs to be yeah. made very, very clear. Yeah, even if he may able to lengthen his career a bit by playing left, but we don't know. I mean, it's his deal. And also, which Zaitsev are we going to see in this season? Because uh, he basically got uh, uh, excluded at the last minute from the team that won the World Championship. And uh, the George, of course, is not an idiot. So if uh, he made that decision, there uh, has to be uh, uh, some kind of reason. Some say because he was a heavy presence for Romano, having uh, the most, by far the most famous uh, Italian player behind him would have put uh, too much pressure on him. Some say that uh, he's an, an far from peak uh, um, physical condition. Some say that he's uh, starting to see, uh, to show some pretty significant signs of uh, decline in his game. I think this will be um, a very interesting season for him to see if it's, he's still the pretty much the Ivan Zaitsev we all know and like, or if he's starting to go to a pretty steep uh, downward uh, trajectory. Yeah, I think that's the real question for them as well. And I mean, they have Gabi Garcia to bring in if they need him, if we don't see a good Zaitsev. But then that's one more Italian that you need to replace in the starting lineup, which we can assume would be with Anzani. But then what do you do with these two middles that you played that you paid money for if Isak is in fact healthy? So yeah. a lot of moving parts. However, they still have Luciano De Cecco, who I don't think we've talked about enough as being yeah. one of him and Simon were the reasons why Lube won last year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without question, Luciano De Cecco was so ridiculously good at the end of last club season and the him and Simon connection. I'm I'm upset that we won't get to watch that for another year. Uh, But De Cecco is the man and he will get the most out of what he has with this Lube team, regardless of who's around him. Well, maybe the Jericho will move to Piacenza next season. Who knows? Oh, uh, I would actually kind of take a swap with uh, him and Brizard. Like, see Brizard set this Lube team with Chinanese there. That would be that would be pretty fun. Yeah, definitely. So uh, we did it, Tommy. It, it took us two hours, but we did it. We, we previewed the entire Italian Super League. <laughs> uh, that was that was amazing. I, I love the amount of coverage that we did. I, I think everybody now knows just about everything they need to know about all the teams. Uh, last thing I think we got to tell them is when everything starts. Uh, the matches are scheduled, and the first yeah. matches are Saturday, October first. So yep. that's soon. That's like it's a, that's like a week and a half. Um, so a couple matches on Saturday, October first. The rest are Sunday, October second, and everything from there. Pretty much every weekend there will be Super League volleyball to watch. So if you're around the world, we got the opportunity last year to watch the entire league, every match with English commentary on Volleyball World TV. That's great news. Uh, so the entire world can pay for a subscription to that and watch every Super Lega match, men's and women's. Uh, or if you're in Italy, like Rye, whatever various TV channels that uh, you guys have. Rye. Usually Rye or Rye 2, right? Yeah, but if you can understand English, uh, Rob is uh, far better than Lucchetta and Colantoni. So <laughs> listen to Rob. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm honored. Uh, the uh, problem is, I think that if you're in Italy and you're watching the game with Volleyball World TV, you actually get the local... Italian comment. You don't oh, get the so you, so you have to like VPN out of your own country <laughs> to watch your own country's games. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, anyway, that's, I think that's about it. I think we did it, Tommy. Uh, thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. I know it's like 11 PM in Italy right now. So yep. uh, thanks. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your expertise and breaking all this down. Everybody join the discord, join the volleyball source discord and uh, 
chirp Tommy about his, his about how Moden is not going to finish top four this year or whatever you want. Uh, we'll see you all in there, and we'll see you uh, next time on Volleyball Source for more Women's World Championships coverage. And uh, I think myself and our good friend Adonos are going to do something similar next week for the Polish nice. Blues Liga. So uh, stick around for that. He's great. So listen to him, join the Discord, and thank you, Rob, for having me. Thank you very much, Tommy. We'll see you next time, everyone. Thanks for watching. Uh, join the Discord. We'll see you there. Ciao, ciao.